for June 30th, 2007. This is episode 19 of Potter Thick Weekly. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. Hey, Ron, the next time you're freaked at me for calling you out on the Quidditch pitch. Remember that time that you stole my chocolate cauldron and declared your love for Rebuilding. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for listening. This is Potterfic Weekly, and I am Jen. And I'm Chi. And we're having a Jen and Chi show. <laughs> this is so funny. I feel like seeing the, you know, the theme song from Welcome Back, Carter. Welcome I don't, back, welcome back, welcome back. <laughs> I don't think I actually know that song. How awful is that? That is awful. It's a great show from the 80s. You should totally check it out. I blocked That's out nice. the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. But, no, we plan to have such a fun show because... First of all, I want to tell everyone, we are starting this podcast at 15 minutes to midnight. So if we get a little crazy, it's because we're that really tired. Fun. Yeah, but we, we felt like we had to sacrifice our energy for the benefit of the Pottershake Weekly listening audience. So here we are. <laughs> and we're just going to have a great show, and we hope that you all have a lot of laughs with us. Um, Ryan actually is in New York City this weekend yes. visiting Danielle, and so he couldn't make it um, tonight. We're very sorry about that. We miss Ryan when he's not here, mainly because then Jen and I can just say whatever we want to say, and then Ryan has to go back and fix it in editing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what I really like about Ryan being away, I'm not sure if everybody has noticed this or not, but I get to be in charge when he's not here. And I have I done notice that. <laughs> I have done quite a few little things um just because I can really. <laughs> I've really been enjoying my um freedom of power. And for example, I have to mention poor Mac. Um Mac and I go way back because um we both were the fanboy and fangirl of Potterfic Weekly in the beginning and we have both stuck with it, and Mac's such a great guy. And um, he reached his 2,000 post today, this morning, which meant that he gets to move up to professorship. You know, we'd asked him what he wanted to do, and he, he'd given us a list of a couple of things. And, and Ryan goes, well, Jen, I'm leaving. You're in charge of giving him his profession. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought long and hard because truly, given that kind of gift, one can't just do something dull and boring. Um, no, no. Right. And so I really thought about it. And so I decided to give him the Witch Weekly's Most Charming Smile Award as his professorship. Oh, he deserves it. He deserves it. He's so smooth. With the ladies, <laughs> all the all the girls on our forum are head over heels with Mac, and it's just because I think we all were though. Easy. We all were. Huh? We all were in the beginning. 
We were yes, all just yes. head over heels, but then, you know, we had to go and get a girlfriend. But, um... <laughs> Too bad you're married, right? <laughs> I know. Shucks. But, um... <laughs> But, no, I, I just had to bring that up because I so enjoy Mac, and he really is so charming, and I just couldn't think of anything that fit him more perfectly than that title. And and I'm not sure. I've promised him that I, I think when Ryan returns, Ryan will um, fix it, but I'm kind of hoping that he won't change it because I like it. <laughs> it is appropriate. It really is. He's just a little charmer and a little flirt. He's a flirt. He flirts with Kate all the time, and oh, he flirts you with know, everybody. everybody. But you know, that's what I like yeah. so much about him. He's just so funny. Yeah. But we have so many cool things on the forums. You know, I've been gone for so long. I feel like I've been go- I've been gone for like a month, even though I was on last week's episode for a minute or two. But I've just had a time of it, <laughs> trying to do. <laughs> you know, this is the first podcast I think we've done that I haven't been ill, gravely ill or unconscious or, you know, some horrible disastrous you know, event is going on in my life. <laughs> exactly. Poor Jen has podcasted in tornadoes and she calls us from <laughs> hospitals. And, and the car ride really, to yeah. Arkansas. Do you remember that? Exactly. I remember that. It was all my, that was one of my very first episodes of Potterfish Weekly. And it got deleted, but that's okay. I know. Four hours of our lives down the drain. I know. And then we were all like, what? And then we were like, oh, well, at least uh, we were, you know, whenever we um, re-recorded episodes, always like grateful that we did it in the end because it always turns out better. There's always method to our madness, I think. Yes. Sometimes, you know. That is definitely true. Yeah. We definitely have that. But anyway, we are starting a new podcast thing. (laughs) What is it called? Um, Master Fake Theater. Yes, the Master Fake Theater. And we are looking for volunteers to act out parts of our favorite scenes of fics to put them on an attachment of a podcast to encourage people to read those fics and those scenes. And so I would like to inspire anyone who wants to participate. Um, If we have lots of participation, we will do voicemail auditions. But pretty much if if you give us an interest, say, I, you know, you want to be a part of it, we're going to find a scene and a part and let you be a part of it because it's for fun. And um, I just think it would be a lot a lot of laughs and a lot of fun. And so I, encur- I want to encourage everybody to participate in that. If you have an interest, you can either uh, let us know on the forums, on the Master Fic Theater thread, or you can email me at jen at Potterfic Weekly, and I will see what we can do. We're trying to set up a scene right now this week to um, have out by next week. And so I think it's just going to be a lot of fun. What do you think, Chi? Do you think it sounds like a lot of fun? Oh, I think it sounds like an absolute blast. I'm looking forward to maybe writing some of the scripts and, and, and getting to see and everybody. I'm not much of an actress, but I'm looking forward to getting everybody else try their wings. Maybe I'll maybe I'll break out my professional McGonagall impression once or twice. Oh so. my gosh, that would be so awesome. You know, we actually <laughs> we should do a challenge. So um, this is our official impromptu challenge to all the listeners of Potter Fig Weekly as the um, date approaches rapidly for the release of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. If you'd like to send us in your best impression of your favorite Harry Potter character from the movie, 
Um, we'll, we'll select a few of the best ones and attach them to the um, end of our next episode, episode 20. So get on that, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to do Hermione Granger. Are you going to do Hermione Granger? Maybe I'll bust out my um, my, my Professor McGonagall. I'm going to have to brush up on it a little bit because I haven't done my Scottish accent in a while and I don't want to embarrass myself in front of Mac. But um, you know, I'm pretty sure... <laughs> Well, you know, well, he, gosh, he he just has that down pat. But I'm excited. I think I've heard you do it before, and it's really good. But um, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was listening to uh, Leaky Cast the other day, some of the past episodes, and they had done something similar where people had called in with characters, and I and I have to bring up this one. Um, somebody actually did Garp or Grop, Harry. Oh, yeah. And it, I swear, I about peed my pants. It was the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. It was just like, it was just like somebody voicemailed like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I about died. So um, if anybody gets a chance to listen to some of Leaky's where they do some of that, it's worth it. It's hysterical. Okay. Well, do you want to start on the story? Do we want to start? You actually want to start? You want to talk about fix today? Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh hush, you're so mean. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm just so excited to get to talk to you, Jen. I can't. Oh, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to focus. Okay. Literally, you guys, it's been ages. <laughs> I know. I'm so excited to be able to talk to you again. You know, Ryan called yeah. me today, and he was just like. I haven't talked. I feel like I haven't talked to you. And I was like, I know, I miss you. And and she, I could, so I got to talk to both of them after like two weeks of absence. It's wonderful. I've missed you, dear. <laughs> I've missed you too. It's like it's like going two weeks without your best friend and then having them magically return to you. It's wonderful. <laughs> okay. So now that the mutual love fest is at least partially over, we're going to start in on the seventh war Rex. This is chapter twelve, repercussions. We're going to do chapters 12 to 17 tonight. Um, the Sick is by Melinda Leo. You can find it at www.melindaleo.com. And it's also at phoenixsong.net. Yay! Well, everybody's coming back from destroying the, the horror crux that they just destroyed. So they're coming back to Grimbled Place to deal with the injuries at hand. But Okay, I have to say that I've really, I've enjoyed reading, reading this story so far. And, um... You know, and it's it's taken me a little bit of time to really get into the flow of the story, you know, um, yeah. which is not a bad thing. It's just, um, you know, it not a lot happened for a long time. You know, they just kind of were hanging out. The, you know, because I think because we know that we know what's going to happen. We know that they're going to search for the Horcruxes. We know they're doing all this stuff. Um, and it just was kind of like they were waiting for a long time to start. Yeah. And I felt, you know, so by this by this point, at the beginning of this chapter, I had started really, like, getting into the story where I couldn't put it down, you, you know. Um, yeah. And I really liked this chapter. I love how, um, at this point, I believe Hermione is totally unconscious. And right. um, she has gotten a dark magic burn all over her body and head and and Ron had tried to protect her and so he is covered with the same kind of things but he's somewhat lucid still 
and Harry just got finished defeating a dragon. I'm just kind of catching everybody up. Um, defeated a dragon, and so they're all outside of Grimold Place now. Grimold, yes, Grimold Place. And um, Jenny has run inside to get help. Some, all right, can we pause right there? And yes, please. We'll talk about this for a while, and then we'll move on. Okay. Um, my first note here is that Jenny absolutely has to be the rock in this scene. You know, um, Harry, I don't know what's up with him, but I believe he's not all there. You know, he's yeah. about, he's, he's holding on to consciousness, but he's about to go out. Yeah, he's and ill. And Hermione is totally out. And Ron's very concerned about Hermione, and he's about to pass out. And Hermione is totally gone. And Jenny is having to handle the interaction with all of the adults. There's no Harry stand between her and Molly or, you know, her and Arthur. And um, it's kind of interesting to see how Melinda takes a, a 16-year-old girl and how she thinks that that 16-year-old girl would handle the situation. So Right. Um, well, I just thought it was really interesting because they kept telling Jenny, oh, you're too young, you can't do all this stuff. And now, by this point, Jenny is the one that is basically running the show. Because, right. And it, to me, I think it's a very nice, heroine tale of Jenny, you know? And she right. does it so beautifully. She handles it with such maturity and grace, honestly. Right. I completely agree. Interesting how Harry and Jenny are becoming the alpha pair, and Ron and Hermione are becoming the beta pair, like a character. Yes. Like, you know, Harry and Jenny are running the show. You know, Harry is in charge of very specific things in their relationship and in everybody's relationship in this square of people. And Jenny is in charge of very specific things. You know, and, you know, the same token, Hermione is in charge of research and, and Ron is in charge of making sure that Harry knows when he's acting on dick. Okay, so that's all, I mean, everybody has a role to play, but Harry and Jenny are definitely in charge and Ron and Hermione are kind of subordinate characters, you know? Yes. Like, not subordinate, because that suggests that they're... No, I know what you mean. Effect. They're just not as important at the moment. But right, they are. Right, exactly. They're crucial. But but you're right how Harry and, and Jenny seem to be the ones... Well, basically, it's Harry doing his mission, and Jenny's just kind of attached herself to him and <laughs> and won't right. let go. And Hermione and Ron don't get that option. Right, right, right. Well, because, you know, Harry for some reason, can't say no to Jenny, but he finds it easier to say no to Ron and Hermione. So, um, right. and then the other thing I wanted to know, um, there's some scenes here where Jenny is interacting with her mother in particular, um, which took me back to my teenage days, <laughs> where, you know, Jenny views herself most of the time, 95% of the time, as a grown adult woman. Yes. And her mother views her 95% of the time as a young girl. And there's a lot of tension here between them, and and that kind of spills over onto the other characters. But um, the point I wanted to make was a lot of the scenes in my story sometimes really emotional scenes, um, like the one where Ramus is confessing his love to Lily, but Lily's already in a relationship with somebody else. I mean, that really particular emotional scene was based on something that I had gone through in my life. So I'm wondering mm -hmm. if... In this scene where, you know, Jenny and her mother are fighting like this, they're not really fighting, struggling for power, is kind of influenced by Melinda's own experiences because it rang very true for me. It made me well, feel yeah. like that has gone through this experience. I think every teenage girl 
who is close to her mother does go through this this i mean she writes that mother daughter relationship so well um i think even even in a later chapter which we won't go into now jenny even talks about how much she misses her mom and she she understands that she needs to be on her own and she needs to be there for harry but she still loves her mom and still wants to be a little girl but knows that she can't and she she needs to be her own person and she wants her mom to understand that but it's all these mixed feelings and i thought that melinda really captures all of those so well right jenny is so strong in this first scene yes you know she's she's watching harry she's in charge of ron and hermione she's standing in between all the adults and the, and the, and the kids and she all she's worried about right now is and making sure everybody lives. And I think, you know, it's interesting, too, if you consider the parallels between Jenny's character and Molly's character. Because if Molly were in the situation, you know, she would be acting the same way, I think. You right. know, she would be very concerned about her family. And Jenny has that, I mean, she has that matriarch tendency, you know, where... Yes which is the point I was trying to make a minute ago, where everybody is under her wing, you know. And um, I, I think it's it's interesting how Molly has raised a daughter so much like herself yeah. that there's tension there. Well, so. and at Jenny's age, I can't help but point that out. I mean, what girl is not like Jenny at this age with a mother who, yeah. who is loving like that? You know, I know that my mom is very similar in some ways, and... I know that by the time it was time for me to go to college, I think we were both ready. <laughs> and But I went yeah. away, and our relationship just got all the more stronger, you know. So, oh, my relationship with my mother is tons better. But, tons better but, now yeah. than it ever was in high school. You know, <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. We used to have knockdown, drag out. Yes. You don't respect my privacy. You don't respect <laughs> my position as your mother. Like just yelling. Bite. I am your mother. And then we moved out. Exactly. I am your mother. I brought you into this world. I'll take you out of it. Exactly. I am 18 years old. I'll punch you so hard. Like, you know, I'm like an me, adult like now. That, but. But support yeah, yourself. Exactly. No. <laughs> but no, I, I totally, I understand. And I think that it's so well. Though, um, though I was not pleased, I don't think, with some of the adults' reactions when they show up, I have to say. Um, there were some moments in here where I was like, oh, my God, guys, seriously. Like, <laughs> you know, Harry's unconscious, Ron's oh, no. unconscious, Hermione is unconscious. Why are we giving them a third degree? This is not an appropriate time. <laughs> well, like, Bill is, like, dumping Harry on the floor. Like, I'm, he has severe dragon injuries. <laughs> I know. I was just going, oh, my goodness. And, like, some of these things I can't really see these characters Yeah, doing. I have no. to admit, like, Arthur's evil look and Molly being more concerned no. with her being angry at Harry than her concern with her kids being unconscious. You know, yeah, there I was think... just a few moments where I was like, I don't know about that, but okay. <laughs> yeah, like there's a, there's a few times that I'm just going, um, okay, well, I guess we'll just go with well. <laughs> I don't particularly like it, but I'm sure there's a reason why 
Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because it seems to me like I'll be reading along and somebody will do something that is not particularly in character and I don't, I'm not like upset about it, but I'm kind of disappointed. Like, it's not, that's not. kind of let me down a little bit. Like, I feel like everything else in the story is so wonderful that when there's a little bit of a mistake, it's just like. Exactly. It's really. Well, my. Really easy to see. I think my biggest pet peeve with this, what I've noticed with the story is that it, she does so well about building up a scene and getting all the little parts. And then, and then I feel like sometimes we get to the scene and it just drops off the cliff and then we go to something else. And do you know, do you get that at all? I, yeah, I have notes on that. <laughs> Do you really? Okay, well, we'll get... But yeah. there's a few parts, like... Um, I don't know how, where this is in the chapter, but where Ron says... Ron just states in the middle of the room, you're in love with my sister. And Harry, yeah. like, ignores it. And then this, then that's it. There's no more... And I was like, come on! That's really good stuff. Yeah. You should really... Like, that's the stuff that makes me want to read the story. And And... It's such good stuff, and that's such a good line, and like it's so Ron, and then it just didn't yeah. go anywhere, and and it just kind of drops off the cliff, and you're going, oh. <laughs> I mean, and then it moves to something good again. I mean, it's not like it's disappointing, but it's like we don't get enough of the candy that is offered. If right, that exactly. makes sense, like it could have just gone and been a really awesome scene, and it was just it ended up just being a really good scene. Right, exactly. So, you know, I think, I don't know, you know, that may just be Melinda. Um, I haven't read Power of Emotion in a long time, so I don't Mm -hmm. recall that story as as well. But, I mean, I I think maybe if I were a beta, I would work a lot with pacing on her to where, you know, you can take a couple hundred more words and tell this scene the way that it deserves to be told. And you can cut yes. some scenes, cut some, you know, I probably would have cut half the crap in the first, you <laughs> Don't know, say five that. <laughs> But I do kind of know, it's just very slow paced at the beginning and the story just kind of doesn't go anywhere for a while. And then, and then right. it goes somewhere and it's, I think what, what we're saying is the story is so good and, and, and it seems sort of at times that, the parts that could have been, I mean, that could have made it just like this entire fic truly amazing, a truly just piece of awesome work. Um, the scenes just don't follow through like they. And I and I and I think I'm, you know, I'm a plot baiter for a few authors, and there was a few places where I was just going through and like I could just visualize my notes as to what I would say yeah. in that chapter you know, um, there needs to be a physical action here. We need to kind of know what's going on with the, where is this character, you know, and we need to elaborate this, this one area of the scene a little bit more and, you know, all those things. And, and I don't know if she would be interested in going back and and doing this, but, and I'm not trying to criticize the work as is either. That's not my intention Um, because it's very good. I just, I really do feel at times that we're, that, that we're dropped off the cliff on a really great scene something that could have been a really right. great scene. And there are times when I'm disapp- like, there are some characters in here that I'm like, that are consistently disappointing to me. Bill Weasley. Yeah. Is consistently disappointing, especially in these five chapters. Now he gets better 
as the story goes on. But, you know, he's on this journey, and Melinda has made it to where, because of the bite from the werewolf, you know, at certain times of the month, Bill gets PMS. Yes. And um, I'm not sure (laughs) how I feel about that. But um, I think it's kind of like it's kind of like I get with Bill like the way that I get with women at work that are, oh, I am PMSing. I can't work. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm just like suck it up, deal with it, and move on with life. Like you know, you're being a excuse my French here, but you know, you know, you know, you're being a you know what, and <laughs> you can you're a grown man. You can stop yourself from saying the kinds of things that he's saying, and he would never say these things in canon. Yeah. You know, there's a particularly nasty paragraph where he's talking to his little sister, and he's, well, his, you know, little sister, and he says, you know, tell us why you nearly broke your mother's heart. Do you have any idea how much you upset her? Mm-hmm. Madame Pomfrey had to in. And, you know, he's reaming her up and down, and I just don't see this in canon. I just right. don't. So I'm, I'm, I don't know. Well, I think that because... Was one of my notes. In canon, I think Bill is presented as so much older than than Jenny that he loves her as a sister, but they aren't actually too involved in each other's lives, I never felt. And, no. And so it was very strange to see him acting the role of Ron times 10, and right. all the other brothers are so nonchalant when if anybody had a problem with it, it would have been one of them, I felt. I don't know. I, I totally have to agree with you that that Bill's character was is a little strange at times that I I really I thought that him throwing Harry on the floor and and the whole speech to Jenny was just completely inappropriate and out of character and and I didn't I mean I think there's one thing to be older brother but I didn't understand why it had to be Bill I I don't you know what I mean and and I just yeah. thought that in the story at that time that it would have been a much more um I, the the feel of the scene could have been so much deeper and more profound had everyone immediately seen to everyone's injuries before starting in on where have you been? I'm yeah. so upset with you because I think in real life if something like that had happened and they sh- showed up and I don't think the first I mean, things out of their mouth would be, oh, you're unconscious, but I'm going to drop you and scream at you and be angry at you. It's going to, you know, that just right. wouldn't happen. Right. No, nobody does that. I mean, Ears do that, not not the order. I just I think that was I thought that was a little bit much, um, but you know. But there are really good characters too. I felt in some ways I really like Draco. I like her Draco. Well, I, I want to get to that a little bit oh, later. I okay, to, sorry. Have on that. Okay, um, but then we are going to move on to the second scene here, where Harry wakes up. And he has to deal with the adults. So basically, now Harry has to deal with what Jenny has been dealing with for a while. But the first note I want to make is that Harry wakes up to find Jenny with a romance novel on her lap. Did you notice that? That has pictures. (laughs) That has has moving pictures. pictures. I was like, I want one of those books. (laughs) Me too. I was like, oh, wait. That's porn. I was just like, where, where did she get this book? Is this a book that was in the Black House? Or, I mean, the, you know, or is... Oh, yeah, buy it. Is it something you can buy at Flourish and Bluffs? Do you send in a mail order it, or out? 
It didn't sound like, to me, though, when I imagine a, you know, a dirty romance novel, I imagine like a little paperback book. But this book, if I, if I remember correctly, the description is, it's a pretty large book. I was thinking like, I was yeah. imagining like Hogwarts of History in her lap or something with these moving sexual pictures. It must be hysterious. It must be like an Anne Rice. I don't know. It's hilarious. That's just hysterical. And that he's like, oh, I'll just go get um, snot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he's like, you know, and he's, you know, he's all worried because she's reading this trash or not trash. Cause I read it. Um, he, she's reading this story and he's wondering if that he's not measuring up and boys like, are so oh, stupid. I swear. <laughs> it all just, if only they, they would realize that no man ever, measures up to these men in these romance novels, which is what is their appeal to women. <laughs> so exactly. If they would just accept that it's a fictional thing and that we like it because it's fictional. <laughs> right. And the women that would never in the book, those books, there's not a woman alive. That's oh, like the women. no way. That's so true. So, it's just an idealized relationship, you know. It's like watching a Disney movie with that. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> I can just see Ryan's face right now. Oh, Christ. <laughs> like, you know? I'm like, yeah, we did another podcast and we talked about sex a lot. Sorry. <laughs> uh, this is probably why Zatina um, had to take us out of her signature because we don't have family friendly content. Oh, well. Okay. Um, but anyway, so, so what happens? Oh, Draco Malfoy. Let's talk about Malfoy. Let's talk about Draco. Him. Let's talk about Draco. I think it's hard for me to read fix because I like Draco and Leather stories so much that I think I just have put that image. With, yes. And, you know, it's hard to completely hate Draco in this fic at the moment, I'm finding. Melinda is one of the few people that can make me feel sympathetic for Malfoy. Right. She really, I mean, she can really manipulate your emotions with characters one way or the other. And um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not hating Malfoy right now. I think because Harry coming to see that, you know, people are the way they are for a reason. And maybe some of Malfoy's upbringing has a lot to do with why Malfoy is the way that he is. So um, ah, he's growing up, and when people grow up, they realize that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, when you're 11, everything is pretty black and white. And right. when when you're um, when you're 17, nothing is black and white. So right. you know, it, it's interesting how we're seeing things through the eyes of Harry, um, and occasionally Jenny. But that feels odd to me. That. Uh, abrupt point of view shift to Jenny. Well, when um, Harry's unconscious, we can't get a story. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, there are some really, really good Malfoy moments in these five chapters. Agreed. Really good Agreed. And, you know, it's wonderful because he's not, he's not the um, redeemed figure yes. that so many fangirls are hoping for, but he's not... <laughs> this evil little snot either you know he's something in between which most people most real life people are something in between and um i'm finding her characterization of malfoy very easy to swallow 
I really, I, I really appreciate how you said that. I just, I, I can't agree with you more. I, I think that Malfoy has such moments where it's like he's almost a nice human being, but not quite. Right. And you can right. totally understand. And I, I have to say that I really appreciated the way that she wrote the relationship between Harry and Malfoy, how they are not friends and they are not even going to get along for the greater good. They are putting up with each other and they still hate each other. And um, they are both helping each other because it's helping them get something. It's not the, it's not helping each other for, for the purpose of helping them. They're both being very Slytherin about their relationship. They're in it for what the other person can do for them. And sometimes I think they both have moments of clarity where they see, you know, well, maybe the other person isn't the devil himself, and then they go back to normal, you know. Right. And um, that's 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 great. That's um that's real life. So, how do you feel about Narcissa? Um, you know what, Narcissa Malfoy is not what I was expecting in canon. You know, we get to see because Lucy has always struck me as somebody who saw Draco as a particularly efficient tool for getting what he wanted. Yes, and um, you know, I can see how Draco would be the way that he would be with a father like that, where you have somebody who is willing to manipulate you um, and get you know produce certain reactions out of you and find sign you up to kill, you know, your headmaster at school. So, um, and then, you know, Narcissa is kind of this twisted mother that, you know, wants Draco to be, you know, she wants something better for her son and, um, in canon. And I think, you know, I, we're, it's interesting. We don't get to see a lot of Narcissa in this fic. But what I like, I kind of enjoy. I particularly enjoy the Narcissa Molly interaction. Oh God, that's hysterical! The the plate, the yeah. dishes, the plate trays. Oh yeah, so yeah. fantastic. They're but hilarious. It's so odd to me that that sh- that it's it, for some reason I can totally find and accept that Draco is in the house, but it's so strange for me to see Narcissa in the house for some reason. Well, because you. We forget that Draco has parents. I think that's I think it. And he's so good know, around her. It's sickening. Yes, mother. Yes. No, mother. Whatever you want, mother. I love my mother. Don't, you know, I'm going to defend my mother. Don't insult my mother. It's just ridiculous. Well, I mean, it's not what we would expect from the Malfoy from fan fiction. I think it's probably a lot closer to the um, Malfoy from canon because... Mm-hmm. You know, that's that it's not necessarily about, you know, mudbloods and, and, you know, being truly bigoted because you can be truly bigoted at 11 years old. It's about family loyalty and adherence to ideals. And um, because of, you know, this uh, pure blood, old world style, I mean, that's kind of how I view the pure bloods is these people who have, you know, especially their aristocratic way of viewing you know, marriage and that sort of thing. I think that, you know, he that's probably something that would be very likely to happen, that he would be very respectful towards his mother because she's a woman and, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I can't, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think, I think their, their relationship is done very well and, and that they don't seem to be, you know, they don't come across too racist, but they, 
they're, they just truly believe they're so much better than everyone else in every way. It's hard to come right. down to nor- normal people when you have that mentality. Oh, for sure. I deal with that in my everyday life. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think that's why it's so easy for us to accept the whole thing about purebloods because there are people who are that bigoted and there are the people who are that rich and that they actually, you know, believe that the world owes them everything and it's 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 and it's so easy for us to accept it because we all know somebody who who is like that. And can I just say that I kind of feel bad for Jenny because evidently everybody else has been unconscious and like so she got to be the pin cushion of all the adults for three days right right you know she had to be she had to be a whipping boy yeah so, i kind of feel really bad for her <laughs> you know like that that's yeah, sucks. like you have you know ramus who is struggling with what exactly his relationship with harry is supposed to be you know grilling you and then molly and arthur and i don't know i would just hate to be her right now you yeah. know like that's just awful. But you know, Harry of course feels appropriately guilty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that he you know, he's been asleep for three days, like, Oh my goodness, I was mortally injured. I'm sorry, I slept for three days. Like, shut up. <laughs> well, I didn't I didn't actually get that he felt guilty he'd been asleep for three days because of Jenny. I felt that he was upset because he'd missed three days of getting something important done. Yeah, probably. So. You know, he he feels you know, Harry very much is he's in the home stretch right now, I think, and he can see it. Um he can see the end in sight and he just wants it to be over, you know. He just wants to know if he's gonna live or die. Right. And he just wants to get I mean, he's very much he's got tunnel vision, you know, sometimes you know, everybody else is helping him focus on this one task. And I think you know, he's very much a man? Got a checklist in his head. Yeah, exactly. He's very much a man. And it's not an insult. <laughs> Men, it's not an insult. But, no. you know, I think it's very true when they say women multitask and, and men are focused on... I don't think it's necessarily the ability to do one more than one thing at a time. I think it all has to do with focus. Women worry about all the things that they know they should be doing all the time. And men focus more they think you know the one big thing they need to get done or and 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 i think that's the difference the big difference right right so you know and it's it's nice to see harry develop into i just like how harry develops in this story i really do like once she slowed down from the first five chapters she really took her time you know and, and she did she built she started to build characters again i think i, I have really to started to like harry yeah, because she started to make him have lots of depths and things now. Yeah. What did you think of Remus? I I'm so picky with my Remuses. <laughs> no, I I'm so picky about Remus. There are um, parts. See, Remus has some such great scenes where I'm like, there is the best Remus. I love him. And then he has some scenes, and I'm like, who is this guy? This is not right. the same. He's like bipolar. He's very bipolar. I think maybe it's just because Melinda doesn't know how she wants to characterize him. Like sometimes <laughs> he's Uncle Ramus, yeah, you know, the benevolent some... mentor, and then other times he's like Molly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Molly. I don't know how pissed. to say it. 
Yeah. Well, like, okay, for know. example, when the kids return and they wake up and blah, 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 Remus is like, what, I guess what confused me is before they went on the mission, Remus was like, I, because they had a scene where they sat, I think, in the hospital or somewhere, and Remus was like, I know that you are you have to do something, and here's the here's the tent, and blah, blah, blah. And then when they go and they come back, Remus is like, where the hell were you? Why did you just yeah. leave? Like, who do you think you are? And I was like, what? I thought you getting him the tent was kind of like a blessing or a go ahead. And I support yeah. your decision. <laughs> and then we get back and you're like, I, I, I don't know. Who are you? Yeah. Did you get you know, that? I totally, I'm with you here. It's just like, you know, maybe it goes back to Melinda having that, you know, werewolves have PMS thing. Like, maybe it's just the wrong time of month for Ramus <laughs> and Bill. Maybe that's, maybe that's it. That's probably it. <laughs> they need to take some Lidol and calm down. I just can't feel sorry <laughs> for them because I'm like, yep, I'll deal with that too. And I'm functional, so. Your dreams were your ticket Welcome back. And I'd put it in neutral because I'd never done that before. I didn't know what that did. Are you killing it with potpourri? Some kind of scatterbrain. So cute! Oh my god, call an exterminator. And I run after my car. (laughs) (laughs) We are moving to Alaska. I almost killed my husband. I'm just gonna die right here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyway, so I I have to say I hated Remus when they got back. I thought, what an ass (laughs) to change your mind so suddenly um, in regards to what Harry's doing. You know, but later in a couple of chapters, I'm like, oh, there's Remus, you know. So I don't completely hate his character because there are certain things about him that I really like. But in this scene, I I didn't feel like I knew him. He was not what you were expecting at all. Well, his behavior was not what I... I didn't understand it at all, so... Right, right. But then what Um, happens? Or what were you going to say? Well, of course we find out next that Hermione um, has lost her hair and will not be able to grow it back. As as far as they know, she can't... Yeah, as far as they know, she can't grow it back. Well, she can grow it. I mean, she can grow it back. It's just that they can't grow it back magically. So it's not like they can cast a spell and, right. you know, 10 seconds later, she has her glorious bushy head of hair back. It's not like that. It's, it's more like she's gotten wizarding chemo. Yeah. And, you know, and I have to say, I really, really liked the storyline of Hermione's here. I thought it it. it you know, we talked earlier about a few of the scenes that weren't seen through. You know, they just kind of cliff-ended. But this is one I felt that Melinda actually went from start to finish with. I really liked the right. Hermione losing her hair. And, and they ca- like, I seriously was almost in tears with Hermione. She really captured that emotion, I felt. Yeah, I, you know, having a grandmother that went through it, um, I, I think, you know, I, it was just nice to see that sort of situation in fan fiction, you know, because it is one that so many of us, who are women at maybe at some point in our lives we're going to have to deal with, you know. So it, it's like what, what? What are the statistics now? Like one in four of us are going to get breast cancer or something like that. So, you know, 
it's just it was a good issue to deal with, and it was a nice side side plot line, and I com- I commend Melinda for that. Mm-hmm. It's really well done. And we'll talk about the conclusion of that storyline later mm-hmm. on tonight. Yes, yes. Okay, well, let's move on. Chapter 13. Let's move on. Oh, well, we'll make sure that we let everybody know that at the end of Chapter 12, that's the scene where um, they have the sit-down, come to Jesus, talk with Harry, and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, um, do you like that? My my friend, my roommate uses that all the time. We need oh. to have to come to Jesus time. Okay. So they have to come to Jesus talk with Harry where they get him to agree to have occupancy lessons with the Malfoys because that sounds like a brilliant idea. <laughs> yes. Right. Which I, I am shocked. I have to say, when I read that, I was like, oh, whatever. Harry is yeah. going to be to learn from Draco Malfoy and give all his deepest, darkest secrets. Like, I was like, no way in hell. And then, and then they do. <laughs> I must say that now we've got, I'm, I'm eating my lovely nectarine and drinking glass of wine, which I'm sure oh. goes together. And she here is having margaritas. <laughs> So, can I just say, this is the best all-girls podcast we've done podcast so far. Ever. Yes. <laughs> we should do, um, you know, if we get a chance to get together in August, we should have a all-girls podcast where we all drink. That would be <laughs> so much fun. Chapter 13. I don't have many notes for Chapter 13. That's amazing. Percy, you know, he's strange, but I think I like him. Yes. Do you agree? Actually, I my my thoughts kind of go like they go high, low, high, low. I'm not really sure how I feel about Percy ever. Yes, that's exactly. You know, because sometimes he'll do things that I mean, but everybody. The thing is, Harry's not really sure where he stands with him yet. So, you know, he kind of presents things in both lights. Well, you know, maybe. If he's really working for us, this is a good thing. But if he's working for Voldemort, he could be feeding us the wrong information, or he could be double feeding information. You know? Yes. So, because Harry doesn't trust him, we're not really sure where we stand either. Well, I think Percy. And, uh, we keep going. You know, he is a bad guy, but he's a Weasley. You yes. know, and Weasleys aren't bad. Exactly. That's why it's, it's so hard when Percy's in canon, you know, and he's being a real prick. You're like, you're a Weasley. <laughs> I know. Act like it. it. Yes. That's um, it exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting. Um, we have a couple paragraphs on Percy, and then we kind of move into Hermione, you know, mm-hmm. and that's how she's dealing with that plot line that we were all talking about um before specifically how um hermione hermione's need for some mothering kind of snaps mrs weasley back yes i love that well jenny had to go and talk to mrs weasley and ask for her help in in hermione you know because hermione's not handling it well and she's not around her fam- you know, and I, I'm kind of wondering where Hermione's family is at the moment, but... Well, you know, most people kill her family off. I know. It's just <laughs> easier that way. It's just easier that way to deal with it. Um, 
I don't know what so, Belinda planned to do with her family. I guess they're just not a part of her life, really. And, and But I figure if she got hurt, she would go home, in a way. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Then again, when she's petrified, she sat in the... That's true. You know, so... That's true. We didn't see her parents come and get her or come and visit her at all. I'm wondering... Hermione's relationship with her parents is one of those kind of... Strange. We're not really sure things from yes. canon, you know? Yes, it's very ambiguous. So, yeah, I mean, you can write it, you know, anyway, that <laughs> you want to write it. But, um... I have a... There's yeah. a paragraph or two that I had to point out that are... Like, she just... In some ways, she really captures Hermione. And mm-hmm. I thought that she captured a strong Hermione, even though she's having a weak moment, a weak day. And I have to, I have to say right. that I particularly liked the bit where every time someone tried to touch her in sympathy, she would back away and, like, just go further into her books. or And that she had immediately dived into research to find a cure and had been, what is it that she said? It's not... Um, that she had been like disappointed with the library, and that it, that was the first time that it ever happened, and and that had just depressed her. Yeah, well, you know, when you've been able to find all your answers in books, and then suddenly there's nothing there. You know, my my um my I was just having this conversation um with um another friend of mine who um you know has, you know, has to see therapists and stuff. And she's this way. She's a very voracious reader. And any time she has a problem, she goes immediately to a book. And having to learn that the written word is not all powerful and uh-huh. sometimes the answers aren't in books is really hard to yes, learn. Yes, I'm sure. When you take such comfort from books. I just thought it was really lovely that Melinda had, had incorporated that little bit of depth into Hermione's personality and and it allowed us to see how something as trivial as hair could even up, upset the uh, the most logical minded woman or person yeah. you know like she's not she's not the typical girl that's supposed to care about what she looks like and yet she loses her hair and she's still a girl and it still really right. bothers her and i really liked that Oh, I love that. You know, I love how anytime somebody takes Hermione and humanizes her, I think that's, you know, it's really important for us to see that, you know, all these characters are human beings. How much did you love Ron defending her? Oh, my goodness. I have written here a note to myself. (laughs) I love all the quiet romantic moments. So far in the story, Hermione leaning on Ron, you know, Harry explaining to the order that he doesn't have much time with Jenny and he really wants to enjoy the time that he has, you know, and then Ron turns around and defends Hermione to his brothers and the order. And, you know, that's, I mean, we're getting to see Ron and Harry turn into men and isn't it just great? Ron is... I love Ron, and and I have to say that Melinda has captured Ron, the heart of Ron, as well as, you know, I praise a few other fanfic authors on, he is such a, 
a manly man, and I can't help but go, oh, every time he does something like that, like, what a sexy man. But Amen. <laughs> and I just love it. So I, I love that Melinda had a few moments in there where he he's like, you know, I think, I don't even know where it is, but they're, they're getting drunk and, you know, yeah. George says something and he, Ron is lay off, you know, and, and really yeah. defensive about it. And I, I, I just really like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you what I love. I love that they didn't try to lock it at Madungus's flat. Because my con- chief concern with this story is that everything was going to be too easy for Harry. Yes. Like, you know, I don't know why I thought that, because maybe it was just because that she went with the dragon on the first horse <laughs> crux that he had to do. Yeah. I don't know. I have to I say, though, that there are bits of the story where I feel that she keeps telling us how Harry keeps... Harry and Jenny have no time together and how they're savoring all these last moments and, you know, but then if you really think about it, they haven't done anything for like a month. And, well, I mean, I know it's terrible, but I'm like, okay, it, we're supposed to be in this war. And to me, though, it's like they go and they, they sit and they make out and they have lovely time for a really long time and then they go for a day or two and like almost die, and then they come I back know. unconscious, and then and then they have more time together, and where they complain about that they don't have time together, and then, yeah, and then they go out to another place, and and so I I have to, I maybe I'm hoping <laughs> that there's a lot of the story that we aren't seeing. Yes, um, like that's my explanation right now. Is there has to be more of the story that we aren't seeing? That because, has to be it. But did you notice that as well, or is that just me? Oh, I noticed it. I, w- I wasn't going to say anything, but you know, I was like... <laughs> it's not a bad like, thing. I just... It I'm cracks like, me up. By the other part of the... Like, oh, my God. I'm going to have to take out butt raping. I can just see Ryan going, damn it. I know. We have okay. to say butt sex in every podcast. I don't know how it gets there, but man... <laughs> it does. Um, but yeah, it, it just seems to me like they do a lot of whining and I'll, I'll, I'll mention there's like chapter 17. I got really tired of it. I was like, stop freaking whining and do something about it for the love of Pete. Well, it Jesus, just, I felt, I felt at times, I guess that Melinda was just trying to tell us how, how severe and how, warlike and how this is a ba- like trying to trying instead of drawing a picture with it though I felt like she was just like telling us a lot things are bad like, this is dramatic <laughs> this is bad exactly War is bad <laughs> it's bad because teenagers can't have sex and they War might die bad. yes I, I feel know. like at times she was telling us that we should be very right. sad and and I think at at times and more than once, I know that I've thought, okay, okay, stop telling me, show like, me, get me there. Here's my, here's my mental image. I'll be reading along, right, and I'll get to a part in a paragraph that's very much as you said. And it's like Melinda shows up with a little sign that says, be prepared to be emotional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's horrible. Because, and I Caution, think, heavy angst ahead. I think that it's okay that we mention this because there are scenes 
a majority of the scenes mm-hmm. that are very good and they are built up. And then there's that one scene where it's just like, this is sad. Be mm-hmm. sad. And then we're going to move on. And and right, it's just, right. it's it's a read stopper. You just, yeah. you go, oh, okay. And then you can't, it takes you out of the story a little and you have to get back into it. But um, I think I can laugh about it because... It just shows, again, how good the majority of the story is that we can notice when it's not up to par with the rest of the story. And it's just kind of like, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. It just takes you out of it you a little bit. Take your head and go, huh? <laughs> right. Like, oh, yeah. I, I remember. Here's my favorite. The next part is my absolute ab fab part of this chapter, I think is Jenny and Fleur come downstairs and Hermione comes downstairs and Hermione has the red wig on. Too cute. <laughs> I think it took me a minute to realize it was a wig. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why, but... And and for and I had to reread to make sure that Jenny's hair wasn't chopped all yuckily like, you know, a cancer patient losing their hair. I thought at first I think that Fleur and 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 Jenny had chopped their hair off to match Hermione's baldness, mm-hmm. and that they were doing that as a a stand. But then I realized that, and then I guess I thought that they had magically implanted Jenny's cut off hair into Hermione's head. <laughs> like I don't know why these things went through my head, but I didn't actually think it was just a wig. And then I kept trying to imagine Hermione in the wig. Mm-hmm. And I just I kept going, but it won't go with her skin coloring. And then everybody talks about how beautiful she is, but she just must look awful. <laughs> I don't know. I think that probably um, Emma Watson would look awful as a redhead. That's I think if what I'm imagining. You're as Hermione. Well, I think my Hermione in my head is a little different than Emma Watson, but they have a lot of the same characteristics. Yes. Yeah, I don't so. know. I think Hermione in my head might be able to pull it off. She's kind of fair-skinned. Um, but anyway, I just I thought it was a beautiful thought. It was thing, so sweet. Where Jenny gives it. I'm not really sure about Fleur. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I maybe they're blonde highlights in the wig or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I love how she's like, I wasn't, I, you know, I, I wasn't sure if I could cut hair, and then I can't do a French accent anymore. And I took two years of French; that's awful. But I, you know, she can't. She's like, I, I wasn't sure if I could cut hair, and isn't it wonderful? And you know, all this stuff. And you're just like, yeah, okay, that's half blood slur. It's all coming back to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about her. I, I remember now. I remember why I hate her. Okay, good. All right. Exactly. Oh, and. Here's the other thing, though, where we're we're talking about it earlier. I just want to bring it up again, um, where we're talking about characterizations that are slightly off and therefore disappointing. And Bill's reaction (laughs) to seeing Jenny is one of those. It's like where she walks down the stairs having made this marvelous self-sacrifice, and Bill gets hit with a light from heaven. There are... Angel choruses, you know, and he's like, I don't, I'm not really sure of the exact verbiage here, and I really would like to look it up because it's so strange to me. Um, oh, here we go. 
Um, that was a wonderful thing to do, Jenny. You just reminded me how strong your bond of friendship is with each other. <laughs> I let myself lose sight of that. Hold on. Hold on to it. Embrace it. And don't let anyone, especially older brothers with chips on their shoulder, stand in the way of it. I don't think Voldemort stands a chance against it. I was going, did Bill lose his balls? Did they, like, get chopped up? Did we have a... Did we have a castration in this story? Because that's totally something a girl would say. That is not something a weekly man would say. Oh, my God. I I thought the exact same thing, I have to say. I guess it was just, you know, yay for Hermione's hair, and then Bill is just like, I'm going to pull this old man card and give you, you know, my wisdom and advice. I'm so much older, and... And even though I'm a total ass, most of this fic, but right now I am just going to be this mature, almighty know-it-all and wish you well in your missions. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just, I was like, I literally had to stop reading because I was like, (laughs) (laughs) Like, I I think we've seen enough examples of what Weasley Man is like. (laughs) I just know... And okay, other thing, other problem I have with this is how nobody can say Voldemort because isn't it like by Half Blood Prince where all the Order members are are coming around to at least the idea of using Voldemort? And yeah. You still have people like shocked. I guess like I guess that annoys me in canon too. I'm like Jesus, people. Well, it's <laughs> like, just we're scared of Saddam Hussein, but we don't walk around going, you know who, like. Well, I have to admit that I'm not sure that I like the plot line of, and and I'm not, I don't want to, God, I keep saying I don't want to do this. I don't want to compare this to After the End, but I felt that in After the End, when we had the um, the leaders of the Wizarding World all being 17 and 18 year olds living in one house, it was very normal and it fit very well together. You know, like, and it it was like a normal progression and they'd proven themselves and all this stuff. And in this story, I feel that it's like the kids have decided they're adults and everybody just better deal with it and they don't really yeah. prove themselves to be adults. They keep right. they're adults until they need an adult. They're very teenager like in that way though. Well, yeah. You know. And it fits in the in the story, but it's harder for me to accept them as the saviors of the wizarding yeah, world. And and the adults that they're trying to be because they're not quite there, and I think that it I think it hurts a little bit the dramatic scene because they're not, you know Harry. Well, you know, well yeah, Harry keeps going on and on, and he won't tell everybody anybody what's going on, and he, you know, and and I think that even the adults make. I think finally I was so happy that somebody made the point of why is it okay for you to tell your friends, but us adults who actually can help you won't tell us anything. And I thought, you know what? Thank God somebody made that point. Because truthfully, I feel that Harry is being a retard through this fic. Right. He well, really he is. say something to one of the adult wizards, maybe they wouldn't be cutting back to that all the time. Like, maybe somebody would have some ideas. And <laughs> exactly. Of, like, You're not all-knowing. Right. Well, I mean, Harry needs to learn from Dumbledore's mistakes. What are Dumbledore's mistakes? He's he's too much in love with Harry. Well, too much in love now. I, I know like what you I mean. No. Harry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
he's he's got too much fatherly patronly love for Harry to make clear decisions. Two, he's too much he's too much of a master chessman with all of his pieces laid out on the board before him. You know? He yeah. doesn't really he 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 has control of the order and he manipulates people to get them into position to where to do what he wants them to do. Harry needs to learn to and make available to himself all the resources at his disposal. Exactly. You know? Instead of waiting for Hermione to come up with something, which is what he's basically doing. It's like, right. I've got the right. Wizarding World on my shoulders, if only Hermione would come up with something. And think about how much it must suck to be Hermione Granger. Like Seriously, <laughs> I feel so... She's the one, and I even think this in canon. It's Harry Potter. Yeah, he's the one that's got to do it, but man, it... What about the smart friend who's actually doing all the work? And all, you yeah, know. I mean, seriously, I feel bad for her. It should be her mighty well, I mean, Granger and the all these books. Well, I mean, like, you know, I'm not saying that the thing about her mighty is she can do the research, but she can't really execute. They, the problem is, I don't think that a lot of people give enough um, weight to, and Harry doesn't give enough weight to most of the time. Um, the trio, you know, where everybody has a role to play. Yes. And they all have to, you know, it is only when they work together that they are successful. Right. But They all need to take a moment and remember that. <laughs> and they're working well together here, but they need to open their circle. It's not just the four, three of them anymore. Right, know? it's the four it's of not them. Just, Jenny has inserted herself. Okay, what did you think about Charlie offering Harry and Ron wine? Um, I don't know. I thought I was thinking at that age. How, well, I just kept going, how random. Like, here is this masculine dragon rider offering this yeah. wine to the savior of the wizarding world. I, I don't know. It just felt very feminine. For, so I would have thought that he would have tossed him a beer or something, you know? Yeah, butter beer. I like see them. fire whiskey or a manly drink. Yeah. And not some white wine. So they, they're drinking Arbor Mist. <laughs> they, it's probably like Boone's Farm or something. Here's it's the probably, cheap stuff. You know, like one step, it's probably manly wine. It's probably like one step above horse piss or something. But like... <laughs> Moonshine. Yes, it's probably moonshine. It's probably homemade wine, you know? Oh, my gosh. That's just yeah, the hysterical. Yeah, they trampled down their bare feet or something. So now Hermione is a real weasel with the red hair, and they offer to give Harry red hair, and he is like, hell no. And yeah. <laughs> And I thought that was amusing. Yeah, but I kind of yes. liked it because we get to have another sexy moment between Harry and Ginny, and I just seem to eat those up and and can't get enough of them. Though I, I don't, I feel that not enough is offered with each of those scenes. Just a, just a taste of what it could have been. Well, we don't even really, we don't necessarily need a full out smut, but you know, it, it, sometimes it's hard to buy this romantic relationship where Harry and Ron are acting like they're private, I mean, not Harry and Ron. <laughs> Freudian slip. Um, it's it's hard to buy these moments where Harry and Jenny are acting like they're practically married when we don't see any right. 
know, of the one-on-one interaction necessarily. We just see them like, kissing. She's very concerned or... with the relationship, but we don't really get to see them exploring their boundaries and stuff. Like, she mentions occasionally that, you know, they all have a few makeout scenes where articles of clothing go missing. I'm like, wait a minute, I want to see that. I want to see them deal with that. Like, how do you right. deal, you know, because that's part of growing up is learning how to control Urges. yourself. Well, who is your favorite character? Because mine, I really think my favorite character of the spic is Mad-Eye Moody. <laughs> I adore him. Is he not the most perfect man ever? Oh, he's great. He's, he's wonderful. Like, I don't want to know. <laughs> he's like, he's it's like, a I secret. I understand. That's fine with me. And everybody else is like, a secret. Dun, dun, dun. No. <laughs> I need to know. Because obviously, if you don't want to tell me, I have to know. Like, whatever. Because I'm an yeah. adult. But they're also like, right. well, I'm, you know, I'm in charge. So you can't know. <laughs> everybody. Well, I think everybody in this, everybody in this family needs to take a, take a, take a second. You know, change, change into their grown-up pants. And just. <laughs> their big boy pants. There we yeah, go. boy pants. Take off the pampers. We get to see the first Occlumens lesson. Occlumency. Yes. And I only have one note on this. I only have one note on this. Which is? I'm really enjoying the odd companionship that Draco and Harry are developing. Because that's what it feels like to me. It's not really an acquaintanceship because they know each other too well to be considered acquaintances. It's certainly not a friendship by any stretch of the imagination. They can no longer be enemies. So what are you left with? I think Draco you know, like, was showing... What kind of relationship are you left with? He was showing such... Actually, I felt that he was showing a good amount of restraint and decorum. And I was surprised. Yeah. Even though... Well, yeah. You know how he tells yeah. he tells Narcissa and Remus what he's seeing in Harry's mind, though he's not being a total ass about it. He's just telling what he saw. No. Not about it. He's being... Very restrained for Draco. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting um, because you get the sense, especially with later on when you see Harry put memories back into yeah. his head for the pencil. Here's my question from Canon, though, because maybe I've totally misread the Canon, but it wasn't my understanding that if the memories are not in your head, if the memories are in the pensive, then you can't access them in your memory. That's not how I thought of it. I thought the pensive was just to let you see the memory from an outside perspective. But I, I guess, I guess I totally misread it. I don't know because I was going, he's doing what to keep Draco from doing what? Like I didn't think he could do that. You know, I, I'm, now that I'm thinking about it, I can't actually remember if that is canon or I've read so many fan fictions. But I think that I was, I think that I was under the impression that if if it was taken out of the pensive, they would lose the memory. But. Yeah. I, but again, that I have read so many fan fictions, I don't know if that's a fact or fiction. <laughs> um, that's something we should look up. That would be very cool to know. So, if anybody has any truth about uh, how pensives work, how they yeah. work, let us know because well, I can't think of it. We'll be mad house giving ladies, house point giving ladies. We'll be giving what? them out like candy. I have a question. What no. did you think 
about when somebody says the word legilimens, or I guess that's how you say it, and yeah. the first time Draco does it, he screams it. What What is, you know, he, I don't know the exact words she used. Um, he shouts cried. or he cried. Yeah, like it, it was very, why does the first time they do that have to be so, ah, um, it's dramatic. I guess, <laughs> I guess, but, but, you know, later on he does it again and he just says it. And, and I thought, why does it have to be so violent? I mean, it is the first time because it's basically raping someone's mind of their memories. I don't, I have no idea. Maybe, maybe Draco was expecting more defense. Maybe so. Trying, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what his motivations are. Personally, I think it's just for dramatic effect. What did you think of the but, migraine theory? I thought that was kind of dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just like, okay, what? Harry gets migraines what? now? I thought it was just Harry's, because... I'm going, Harry's never had a migraine in his entire life. He has an evil <laughs> wizard popping about in his head. If you have an evil wizard popping about in your head, your head would hurt too. That's kind of like, I'm going to call in sick with an w- evil wizard whopping about in my head if that's a migraine from now on. <laughs> yeah, you people with migraines can't so, do occlumency. <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't know why people feel this obsessive need to explain why Harry Potter can't do something. He's not God. I think he's pretty thoroughly demonstrated that he can't do everything perfectly. And maybe occupancy is in his, his strength. And maybe he's going to have to learn how to work around it. Like, I don't know, maybe a handicap. Like, you know. Well, no one has expected him to get it right too off. too much going for him right now. Right. Huh? I just didn't understand the necessity of Draco's little information there. I, I was just like, well, he's not going to get it right off, even though, you know, Narce evidently... Okay, there was one line that I was kind of like... I kind of had to laugh at because I think Narcissus says something like, clear your mind and build up a wall and think about the wall. And Harry is just like dumbfounded because somebody finally explained how to clear his mind and stuff. And like I remember reading back and like trying to find where she'd gone into detail about it or explained how to do it and like it's not there. And so he was blown away by her her comment and I was just like but what? But she didn't explain anything. I don't understand. <laughs> Visualize this wall and make it stronger. <laughs> How? <laughs> as, as a student, I'd be going, excuse me, more information, please, thank you. <laughs> that's like somebody, that's like your statistics professor going, okay, we've taught you how to, um, to, to, to find the mean and the average and the median, and now we just need you to figure out a 95% confidence interval. Go for it. And you're just like, like drool coming out of the side of your mouth. I'm like, I don't get it. That's that's you're just telling the concept, but you're not exactly. I don't know. Well, it was kind of I like, have you ever been cubed? No. It's very much like cubing. Like cubing is, it's a psychological thing, and they basically say, uh, if you were in a, you know, it kind of starts with if you were in the in a desert. And there is no, there's just blue sky, no clouds, just blue sky and sand. And you have to picture a cube in your head. 
and so you do, and then they, they give you other things about it. And everybody's cube is different, you know, is your cube floating, is your cube on the ground, is your cube big, blah, blah, blah. And I kept thinking, a wall, that is so vague. That doesn't, yeah. I mean, because I can imagine a little small wall, or you can imagine the freaking stone wall of China, or... Right, is it brick? Is it, right. you know, is it is it reinforced steel? Is it, I mean, like, yeah, I don't know, maybe I'm just one of those people that needed more help, but, like, I don't know, I just, I was like, okay, whatever. And I don't know, I think it's because, I think my main issue with it, I think, was because every time that I read a fiction about occlumency and they have to envision something to help, um, you know, keep keep their mind on something. I, they, I always read about fire or water or something that doesn't really have a beginning and end. It just is there and it's constant. And I felt that a stone wall was something that people could break through. Like even before I read that Draco completely smashes it, you know, it, it's tangible. It's something that you can... Right. So I did. It's too solid. It's not conceptual enough. Exactly. I like thought. Maybe, yeah, that's it. Here's here's my thing though. It, with the occlumency is I've had people try to teach me how to meditate. Yeah. And um, people have tried to hypnotize me and stuff, and it just doesn't work because I'm one of those people that that kind of visualization technique, and I've had you know people try to get me to use visualization as stress relief. And because I, I think it's because I'm an author, <laughs> like visualization isn't stress relieving for me at all. <laughs> like, right. Okay. Visualization is just another, just another, you know, way to think. So it's not. I don't know. I just have such a hard time with the concept of using this. You know, find your center home. You know, like that kind of uh-huh. view of It's too Asian for me. I, I guess I don't know. Well, no. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Asians, but I, I don't see any <laughs> evidence of, like, their philosophies on, you know, on life impacting the magical world, but I could be wrong about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, okay, there are some very, you know, we've been talking a little about some of the things that that kind of threw us from the story, and I, Melinda, I just want to reiterate that we're laughing at these things because the story itself is very good and and these are the little small things that that kind of take you out of the story a little but the, but the majority is is excellent and i'm uh, we'll talk about chapter 14 Harry deciding he needs to go to Azkaban um he has a nice little conversation with Jenny about that um uh very warden June Cleaver like and um they uh, he decides he needs to take Ron with him, and he gets Moody to set up the um, the visit to Azkaban with him, and that's basically the first portion of the chapter. Yes. So um, it, it's interesting. I I I um, there's some great there's a great moment at the end of the first scene of this chapter where Jenny tells Harry for the first time that she loves him, oh, and he demands that he she say it. Is that is that where it is? Yeah. Wait, where she's okay. Wait. Oh God, we have to read some of this because honestly, I cheered at this scene because it was so good. <laughs> it's great. Um, you know, she 
basically they start talking about their relationship, and every time I read one of these scenes in fan fiction, I'm like, oh my Jesus, here it comes. You know, <laughs> like, you know, we all had a crush on that girl or that boy. Oh God, I'm so Freudian, Freudian tonight. Okay, we all had that crush on that boy when we were 11. It was our ultimate dream to be with him. For some of us, it was, you know, Tom Cruise or, in my case, Taylor Hansen. Oh, God. You know, but, like, <laughs> but Jenny ended up with, Jenny ended up with the boy that she was in love with at 11. Yes. So everything that you ever wanted to say to the boy that you were in love with at 11, Jenny gets to say in these fan fictions. And every time I'm like, oh, my God. Like another wish fulfillment scene. But this is great because it focuses more, less on Jenny exposing her every thought and dream, and more <laughs> on Harry, you know, on Harry going, I don't think anybody's ever told me they love me before. Yes. Like, how, like, her lost little boy Harry is so cute. <laughs> oh my God, I love him. I know. You well, know, this is the Harry that makes all of the women in the world love Harry Potter. <laughs> like, I just, I have oh. to say that this scene, what what turned this scene around for me is, you know, where she's, she's, it's just, she's going, you know, blah, 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 blah. I, you know, and she, I don't think she even says, I, I love you. She just says something like, you know, we have something special and we're going to spend our lives together and, and I'm going to show you, I'm going to take all that time and show you how good life can be. And he just assumes, like, he just blinks, you love me? And she's like, of course, I've always loved you. Like, it's not like, it It didn't feel like it was one of those, like, I love you, Harry, at, like, dramatic mo. It was just like, it's very Jenny. I've always loved you, of course. And I love his reaction there. <laughs> He demands, and I cannot, I have to say, Melinda, you could not have picked, you know how sometimes words give just that little profound meaning because it's used so perfectly? He demands yeah. that she that she say it. And yeah. and that's when we get our little moment. And it, he just, I liked his, that feels good, you know. It was so sweet, and, and I just love that. And then he says it, and then he has to say it again because he can't quite, believe it that it was so easy to say yeah and I, I, I appreciated yeah. that because I remember the first time I ever said that I think the first time I ever said that to anybody was was James because I, mm-hmm. I never thought it was necessary to say to tell somebody I love you I never actually did that with anybody who I really liked because I knew that I didn't love them you know what I mean and I right. knew that at 14 I didn't really love somebody I, I guess I just thought logically in that sense and I and I don't remember a big moment with James where we both went, oh, I love you. Like it was just, it was very much both of us. I think it was very much like Jenny. Like I can't, I can't even tell you if we what what how we did it or how we said it. It was just one day. I guess it was just kind of like, well, of course I love you. And then it was, and then we just said it after that. And it, but it didn't change anything because it was already there. We both right, knew it. Exactly. And and I thought this right. scene showed that romantically well. I mean, they give you the romantic the romantic blah a little bit, but it's very real too. Yes. I agree. I I loved it. I thought I was like I was doing dances, I was cheering, you know, it's it was, <laughs> it was exactly what Harry needed at that moment. 
And it was exactly what the audience needed at that moment to snap us back on track, I think. You know, oh, this is where they are in their relationship. Now I remember. Um, So that's interesting. And um, so then... um, then it goes more to... with your. Then it goes to um, Malfoy and Harry, and Malfoy tells Harry, "You know, I, I'd like to go see my dad." I like that. So uh, I was a little shocked. I by like it. that. Me too, because it seems I, I don't know. I, they don't. That don't strike me as a particularly loving family. But when you go back to Half Blood Prince and you um, you remember the effect that that you know, Lucius's um, imprisonment has on Draco, it kind of makes sense. Right. You know, so, and Malfoy has, Malfoy is so interesting as a character because he displays all the signs of somebody who's been emotionally abused in his life. He's disturbingly, Malfoy had everything going for him in life. You know, he had two parents who loved him. You know, he had money, he had wealth. He had a really nasty political ideal he was uh, uh, raised to believe in. That seems to work for a lot of people. You know, and <laughs> Harry comes from, he has no parents. He For the first 11 years of his life, he doesn't have any money. You know, they're on total opposite ends of the, of the spectrum, but yet Harry ends up this really nice guy, you know, even though he's been emotionally abused. And Malfoy suffers a different kind of abuse, and he turns out to be this absolute prick. But he still has... This mental process, like, oh, the reason my dad hasn't gotten in trouble, hasn't gotten a hold of us, is because he can't, he can't go against the direct order, and of course he wants to see me, and he wants, he'll want to, he'll want to escape, and you know, he's in this thought process where he's denying what's actually going on with his father. It's got to be hard to watch your father be brainwashed, like, right. you know. Because by the time they get to to uh, Lucius later on in the chapter in a really fabulous scene, there's no sanity left. Right. There's no sense of self-preservation left. Well, doesn't Harry himself even compare on the similarities between him and Draco and that... And, and I realize that they've reached somewhat comfort level understanding with the occlumency lessons, but doesn't, doesn't Harry... Uh, say how similar they they could have been or that they actually are w- w- with completely different circumstances? Um, I might have imagined no, that. but There's a moment where he does. I'm not sure it's in this chapter, but there's a moment where he does. Okay, okay. Well, what what happened? Oh, we get to see Tonks a little bit in this chapter. Right. And, and I have to align her. Ryan is it here? <laughs> Why? I love I love seeing Ramus and Tonks in action. Ryan doesn't necessarily like it because he doesn't think there was enough um, oh. exposition of that relationship in Half the Prince. But right. I love I love to see Harry. Uh, I love to see Ramus and Tonks in action. I just I think that's great, and I especially liked the characterization of Ramus, where he's very concerned for Harry. You know, yes. um, when he's being good, Ramus, and not psycho bipolar Ramus. Right. Exactly. You know, and he's concerned for Tonks, and he's concerned for Harry, and he's back to what I was expecting of him. Right. <laughs> but I like Tonks. Um, that's the good portion. I like Tonks, yes. Um, so when they're getting ready to leave, you know. Yes. And, and go do whatever it is they're going to go do, they all take off. I don't know why I have the 
they're all taking off to go somewhere. Um, well, they make it to be this, they, like, Azkaban, I felt, was a little bit, um, like, it's a really terrible place in this story. Yeah. Like, worse than I had imagined, I think, in canon. Yeah, I don't know why. I thought, I don't, I just, Azkaban didn't impress me the way that it seemed to impress uh, Arabella and Xenia right. and Melinda Leo. It just doesn't, you know, maybe maybe it's just because I'm not old enough. I don't know. But, I don't know. Uh, you know, Sirius, you know, granted he was extraordinary and he, he was destroyed mentally after, but he, you know, managed to escape and... I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem to me like it would be... It just seems to me like it would be a place that's more of a prison of your own mind rather than this... Yeah, uh, exactly. It, it's not um, that prison off the bay in San Francisco. It's It sounds like Azkaban. It's like... Um, it's not like <laughs> an Alcatraz moment. It's not like an Alcatraz place in my mind, you know, where you have yeah. these horrible stories of you know, terrible solitary confinement in no food, no water, no light. It's like that, but you're inside your own mind, in my mind. Like, it would be more mentally anguishing than physically painful. I don't know. I know, I totally agree. I totally agree. Like, in canon, I remember, because I think we think it's not so bad because Sirius did escape, and he is not crazy very much. Right. Well, yeah, kind of. He's and kind I have, of a but whatever. Well, <laughs> yes, but but you know what I mean? Like, he's not, like, rocking back and forth and, and crazy, crazy. But um, I think, like, in in the movie, I remember being so shocked because of all the tattoos. Because I, I hadn't <laughs> thought, I hadn't ever imagined Azkaban to be that kind of prison. You know, where they take you to lunch and you exercise and you... <laughs> you, no, you know that's not how I got it. I thought it was like a bunch of wizards kind of leaning a, you know, you're in your cell, and then you know the Avengers walk by and they suck every happy thought out of you. I, I can't imagine going. You know, it seems appropriate at this moment. Body art, like <laughs> totally not. I didn't buy it. I was like, uh, like I can't imagine having oodles and oodles of spare time when you're reliving every painful moment you've ever had in your life. I, yeah, I, you know, I didn't necessarily think, I don't guess, that the Dementors walked by and, like, sucked the mem- the nice memories out, like, moment- like hourly or something. I just thought that, but I think my, my vision of Azkaban is similar to yours in that I didn't ne- even necessarily imagine, like, I think her Azkaban had, like, lots of people in one room and yeah. it being very cramped and closed. And, and I didn't really, I, I think I, I imagined everybody had their own cell and that it it was a, a personal war, like you got fed, but the Dementor's constant presence just made you really depressed and and unhappy all the time, and and so you lived in misery because you couldn't think of any happy thoughts because you were constantly right. reminded of all the bad stuff, and that was the hell of it, but not the mistreatment and the it just sounded it's gross. The Dementors are walking by and kicking the crap out of presidents <laughs> on a regular basis, you know? Take that, take that. Take that, take that. No, no, it's more like, yeah. You know, oh, you're smiling, here. <laughs> Let's drain some of that energy out of Let's you. Take yeah. that out. That's kind of how I see it. 
So how yeah. much did you how much did you love Draco visiting Lucius? Oh my god. I I think because Harry felt for Draco, it was easy for us to to be okay with feeling for Draco because Lucius right. is so awful. And when he had him, when he hit him, you know, and I yeah. have to say that the interaction between I loved it. I thought it was so well written and I love that scene and I think any scene where um, an author takes a character like Draco Malfoy and makes them makes the makes the reader feel for them yeah. and sympathize with them and for them that it's a very good story and it's a good author and I did and I felt terrible for Draco though oh awful you know and Harry you know that's got to be awkward <laughs> well I felt kind <laughs> like, of like you know how many memories of of Harry has Draco seen now by now. I yeah. mean, he must not have any secrets other than the one he puts in the pensive. Right, right. I mean, he's kind of seen. This is kind of interesting. You know, Lucius is Dudley is. You know, Draco. It, this makes sense. You know, in the cycle of abuse, because Draco feels like he has to pick on Harry because Lucius picks on Draco. Right. Um, you know, it's a very logical progression of events. I love how Lucius is evil. I love yes. that. I love, you know, um, his character and the way he's portrayed. Because I've been reading a lot of Snape and Hermione fan fiction lately. <laughs> and if you make Lucius Malfoy into a nice guy, I can't read it. <laughs> well, like, I just can't do it. Because I I can't picture him that way. Just like I have a hard time seeing Draco sleeping with Harry. It just doesn't work in me. So, um I have to say though I, I don't know. that at the that at the beginning of the story and even a few chapters in and even now, that before we got to the scene I thought that that Lucius was going to be good that they were that she was going to make Lucius good like Narcissa and Draco and Hyde and and that the family wasn't necessarily evil, but they had um, they would prefer to stay neutral and 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 just not be involved at all. And you know, I thought that she might go that way with them, and I was I was happily uh, yeah, I was very happy she didn't do that because she had hinted at it a little bit. I felt with Draco, and I didn't like I didn't like where that was going. But I did think at this point, after reading that, um that Draco has, after his conversation with Lucius, I felt that Draco could be redeemed in the story, that he can be redeemed and that, and that it's a natural progression. But he, I was so happy to see that Draco realized the, the good of siding with Harry. (laughs) Right. I don't want to group this crap anymore. Yay. Well, at least Um, this side won't kill, kill us. It is, he says something like that, and I was yeah. like, thank God he realizes that. Really? Yeah. They're not merciless on the other side. That's right. It. But we still don't um, like Draco. He's not right. good. He's just, he's very flippant. He has that self-preservation instinct. He's going to do what is in his best interest. And he finally realizes that being on the good side is probably in his best interest. At least if they're if they, at least if they decide they have to kill you, it's going to be quick and painless. You know, <laughs> on the other side, you're likely to suffer the uh, Cruciatus curse and then be under for hours and hours. So I guess I'm just um, curious as to what 
Narcissa and Draco have been doing all day, every Playing day. solitaire. Seriously. Until dawn with a deck of 51. What does one do? and watching cats and kangaroo. What? Oh, what does one do with his mother every waking hour of every day? Seriously. I have no idea. Well, I'm sure she's a society wife, so she's probably used to not doing much. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I guess I always thought Malfoy's at least worked or did something. I don't. I. It's interesting that we don't know what the Malfoys do. We know Lucius has a lot of influence with the Ministry, but yeah, we don't know why. We don't How know. How are they rich? The, yeah, we don't know where the Malfoy's family family fortune is centered. Did we know what the Blacks so, did? Because huh? they were really wealthy too, weren't the Blacks? Serious Blacks family. Yeah. yeah do we know what they did? Nope. Huh. Okay. I guess it's just old money, you know. But I guess. But still, I I feel like if he's, they must do something for a job. I don't know. Take care of business. I think that's a, I think that's a midwestern sensibility coming through. Like. What do you do all day if you don't have a job? Like, seriously. If well, you're not raising kids and you don't have a job, you can only clean the house from top to bottom so many times. Well, and you don't have house to do that, so what are you doing? Go make bread or something. Be industrious. Well, but I mean, it's not like they have a TV or something. I mean... Exactly. I, I would be bored. It's of our lives. <laughs> Wizards of our lives. So... Draco and Harry leave Azkaban, and this is right after Lucius has been the biggest jerk ever. Yeah. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. And he's so deliciously evil. I love it. Oh, oh my gosh. Yes, he's wonderful, but wonderfully evil. But I, I thought it was such an interesting twist, and I really liked it, that Malfoy immediately puts two to two two and two together that it's Harry's fault. That all of this is Harry's fault. And I was right there with Harry, I have to tell you, when he was like, What? <laughs> what? I was going, What? Yeah. <laughs> I don't it, it's interesting, you know, that Draco immediately puts the blame on Harry. You know, he's very he can, you can tell he doesn't want to have to deal with the issues that he has with his father. So that was kind of an right. interesting insight into his character. So. Mm-hmm. But, well, they're walking out, and suddenly, um, you know, we we notice that Harry's swaying, and then his vision has started to blur, and he's, he's landed on his knees. Um, and... Uh, Malfoy actually, I don't know, did you get the impression that he was, like, trying to help Harry get up, come on, let's go? Or were you under the impression of he was just like, what's wrong with you? You're, in, you're Why are you falling to your to your knees? This is stupid. Um, hmm, I don't know. I just kind of get the impression that maybe he was a little bit panicked. <laughs> like... Like, Draco was a little bit panicked. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, my God, what's am Like, we're going to be attacked by Dementors. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I don't pay much attention to Draco, actually, to be quite honest with you. Well, <laughs> that's I'm just like, oh. So they both pass out from the effects of the Dementors. Right. And I really liked that they had them both 
pass out because Draco, it shows that Draco also has been going through a lot. Right. So I really, I just like those little, those little bits. Yeah, it certainly doesn't diminish what, what Draco has gone through in his life and, Right, and what he's you know. just been through. I mean, his dad really was horrible. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. To me, it just gave him a little bit more character depth, I think, than mm-hmm. we actually get to see in canon. And, and those little things I, I really appreciate. Well, I, I was going to make a point. You know, I have marked here in my notes that Melinda Slytherins have a lot more depth than Joes do. Mm-hmm. You know, they they they're, all their motivations are complex and... It, it seems to me like they are, they're almost better villains than, than Joe's villains mm-hmm. are because they're not so single-mindedly, you know, right. they have motivations and reasons and they're complex people um, as opposed to just, you know, no, it, in hey, a, he's a greasy-haired git, therefore he's evil, like. Right. I think that that is my biggest appeal to fan fiction um, because Joe even Harry she doesn't write quite as emotionally deep as she could I mean I always feel that she just kind of tells the story and skims skims a bit on the the more character depth you know we don't really get to see a lot and and when we do see a lot it's drawn out over a series of books you know so it takes a really long time to get I mean, we're still waiting to figure out Snape's character, um, but I right. think I think a lot of her writing deals with more with suspense and what's going to happen rather than getting into the emotional depths of the character she's created, which, in a way, I find sad because, well, in a way, I'm really glad because it allows the story to get told in an adequate amount of time, but but I will say that that's probably my largest pull into fan fiction because you get to you get to read fix that really allow themselves to get to go in that, to that place of that character that you just so desperately want to to read about and you want to find out about and even if it's completely AU or or something it's still in most of the really good fakes a part of the character that she gives us i mean that's kind of where they stem from and right. and so i really I, I have to appreciate what melinda's done you know, and other in other authors of some of my favorite fakes, but I, I just I think that's what makes me like fan fiction so much is that authors can take characters and do this. I mean, look at you and Remus. I love how. You, well, I I'm not gonna I'm not just saying this because you're here, but I love your Remus, and I I can almost I can honestly say that I almost despise Canon Remus. And it's not because of what we do know about him, it's what we don't know about him. And right. what you do as an author is you allow us to see a little bit into a personality that could have been. And it's so interesting. And thank you. You're welcome. But you know what I mean? Am I making sense? Yes. It makes sense to me, yeah. Okay. You know, they you know, we we take we take what Joe gives us, and then we expand on that um, that that theory that you know we take the mold and we play with it, and um, so that's what the appeal of fan fiction is for me. It's not necessarily um, exploring um, 
you know, alternate universes and that kind of stuff that other people get into. I can read those. I'm just not very interested in writing those. Um, but I, I will, I can, I can sit there and I can write 50,000 different Ramuses on a scale, you know, just based on, well, this Ramus is drawn from this, you know, in Half-Blood Prince where he acts this way. And, you know, there's, she gives us enough flash of character that we can explore thousands and thousands of facets of different characters. Right. So Joe writes a really good good universe to um, <laughs> to use fan fiction in. She really did, and 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 I have to admit that I think if you like compare Harry Potter fan fiction to any other kind of fan fiction, I mean it's booming. In in some ways, and this may be the silliest analogy ever, but I, do you remember like in grade school? where they would give you a writing prompt of this has happened and you need to write what's happened, how did the characters get here? Or yeah. And I feel like Joe wrote the best writing prompt ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there's so much left. And a part of me wonders if she purposely had that in mind, you know, that her stories are not just an encouragement for people to read, but to write. If she had that in mind when she was considering the way that she would write it because it almost seems like it's purposeful. It's so good. It almost seems like it's purposeful. Yes, it does. It seems very, you know, very real. I don't know. I just, I love Joe's universe and I could play in it all day long. (laughs) So, um, and hopefully when the, the part gets made, we can for real. Dun 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 dun. Sorry, okay. Dun 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 dun. I love it. Well, I've been playing the video game. City for the release of the Orlando Phoenix movie. You're busy. The eleventh. Okay. Except I'm trying to get tickets to go see it on the tenth. Oh, I want to see it so bad. But when you see it, you can't tell me. You just have to I tell won't. Me if it's I won't. Or not. Have you seen you the online clips? It's worth your time, huh? Have you seen the online clips? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh! There's... I am so, I am so anti-spoiler. I'm like, I don't even <laughs> want to know. I'm just sitting there. Like, I saw a trailer for it and knocked up the other day. I went to it and I saw knocked up, yes, and I was yes. just like, I was sitting there with my eyes, like my eyes covered and my ears plugged. Like, I was trying to cover my eyes and my oh, ears really? at the same time because I was like, I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. But then I had to open them because Dan Radcliffe came on the screen and he's, he's going to be legal in a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. oh my gosh, that's hysterical! I love him. I'm so addicted to him. Oh, sorry. Oh, he's just—I'm I'm sorry, but Rupert Grant is just adorable. He's just adorable. The only problem I have with him sometimes is this is so off-topic, but oh well. Um, <laughs> I'm it out if he doesn't want it. Um, the only problem I have with Rupert Grant sometimes is the direction that he gets. Like they're like. Ron acts like a complete pansy, and he acts like a complete pansy, and I just, like, want to stab myself in the eye. So, <laughs> like, other than that, he really does a really nice job, I think. Well, I, oh, my gosh. I think out of all of them, Rupert is Ron to me. I don't, yes. in so many ways, that Hermione in some ways is, but Rupert in every way to me. Um, and, oh, I just love how he's come as an come along as an actor. Like I know that 
at Daniel, you know, there's a few things where I'm like, that's not Harry, or he just, yeah, he just missed it just just enough to make it a little off. Um, yeah, but I don't even start on Michael Gambon's Dumbledore. Oh, oh, oh. rest in peace, Richard Harris. Rest in peace. But um, exactly. <laughs> he would, he would, I think if he would just, I don't know, maybe read the books. Like that would be a good. But start. he won't. Like he's like, if I read the books, it will. Uh, what did he say? It will. Um, what is the dang word? The word. Uh, it will influence my the, my portrayal of this character. And I was like, that would be a good thing. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> what, what What do you think you're doing by being in this movie? You're portraying a book character. So try to be like him in some way. Try exactly just a little. Stop throwing Harry against walls. <laughs> I have. I honestly have hopes for him in this next movie. I really do. I hope. So. I hope. I hope. I. Oh, I'm so excited about. Th- okay, I just we're gonna have to do a movie podcast. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, why not? Everybody else is doing it. Like. <laughs> yes. Well, we, we should just it. because. Just because we are fan fiction fans does not exclude the fact that we are Harry Potter all around fans. We are Harry Potter all around fans. That is right. In the worst babe. way. In the I'm worst so way. I'm so to do it. It's worse than cocaine. <laughs> I know, <laughs> and you time. know, I just can't get enough of it. Like the more I read, the more I want to read, and the more I find out, the more I want to find out. And it's just, it's a disease. It's a sick. I'm sure <laughs> eventually that they're going to come up with internet uh, fan fiction anonymous or something. They're going to. They're it's going to gonna have, have to. It's going to have to because, seriously, I find myself forcing myself to go and live life and do the things that I know that need to get done instead of sitting here at the computer, like, wasting hours of my life <laughs> <laughs> on a computer Me screen. Too. Oh, I was late to work today because I was reading a thick. I, I like, can't tell you the classes uh, that I used to skip or I've even, well, I've never called in sick for it, but I have considered it. Calling in sick to teaching to read fan fiction. I mean, that's sick. <laughs> I know, it's way. awful. But anyway. Okay. okay. Let's get back to the chapter. <laughs> Let's get back to chapter 15. <laughs> back, okay, so chapter 15. Yes. Well, I think um, everybody appreciates the little bits into our personality, so it's okay. Um, The first scene is they're all just sitting around waiting for Harry and Draco to get back. And then, um, is this when, oh yeah, this is when the Parkinson's show up. Yes. Um, Pansy and her mother and her sister. Yeah. Okay. Of course. Heidi. <laughs> Heidi. <laughs> it's Heidi. God, I still think of Shirley Temple. Okay, keep going. And um, I, I guess my one comment on this scene was, um, I don't really have any comments on these scenes. <laughs> I, my, I guess my real comment was the one earlier about Slytherins having more character in this stick than the other right. one. I, I liked that we got introduced to Pansy's sister because I think that I had always suspected that Pansy was an only child. Well, me too, because we just never, we never heard of Ivy. Well, because <laughs> like, people that conceited and that... Pompous are usually only child. 
so the Parkinson's show up, and um, I I really liked how the kids reacted to it. They were, I'm sure that they know that they're there for a reason, but nobody's happy about it. And we get to see Arthur Weasley get anger, get angry. Yes. And I was, I remember going, whoa. <laughs> well, because we only see that in canon when Lucius uh, Malfoy's around. Right. And it's still, even then, suppressed in front of his children. Like, we never really get to see him, um, what, uh, what's the word? Say, you know, get onto his children. Not really. I mean, usually it's Molly getting he onto them. Molly. Yeah, yeah, and so this, it was dad, and, you know, it reminded me so much of, you know, when dad says something, everybody better shut up and listen. And Yes. <laughs> so much like in my family. You know, mom run, mom rules the roost most of the time, but every once in a while, dad will say something, and what dad says is going to go, and you're just going to have to suck it up and deal with it. It's the opposite in my family. Oh, really? <laughs> my dad is such like he's so um he's so loud mouthed and I just I'm not like a good word for your father <laughs> he's very um like he talks very loud and he's very my word is law type of person <laughs> and my my mom is generally like this very laid back almost it takes a lot to get her riled up type of person and every once in a while she'll just snap and that'll be it <laughs> then everybody's done <laughs> oh gosh doing. it's just funny but I, yeah I love my mother but she tends to go on and on about everything and I you know I love her for it and I'm sure that I'm the same way in so many ways but pretty much when dad would say something you know that would be it. Yeah. That would. <laughs> so, but anyway, okay. So we see George acknowledge Iris, mm-hmm. and I thought it interesting that they had that that Melinda put that continuity in there that Iris's older sister went to school with George and that they know each other. And I think at first I thought they liked each other. Yes. I, I don't think. know if you got that. And then it was like everybody hated them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is so, it Iris or is it Ivy? It's Iris. I'm looking at it right now. It's Iris. Oh, okay. Never mind. Then. Did we ever hear about Iris and Cannon ever? I mean, is she completely OC? I think she's completely Melinda. Okay. I don't think that's Cannon at all. I didn't remember it. I mean, like I said, I thought that Pansy was an only child. Um, I think in a lot of fix, Pansy is an only child. But, yes. you know, I still think that Blaze is a boy. So yeah, there's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of things that I'm sure are not right, but that I've just taught myself in my head that they're one thing. Because honestly, and to go off on another tangent, Draco and Blaze and Leatherfix are so hot. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. Blaze oh my is goodness. so much a better boy. Okay. Anyway. Um <laughs> Something's wrong. Houston, we have a problem. Hey, everybody. It's Ryan coming into this week's episode. People often ask me, Ryan, do you feel nervous leaving the ladies in charge for an entire week? And I say, heck no. 
Podcasting on margaritas? I say, pour me one. A 30-minute side discussion on Order of the Phoenix? Hey, I'm there. I just have four words for Jen. Listen up. Blaze is a boy. Oh my god, what was that? I, what was that? Chi? What? Did you what? hear that? Did you hear that? No. Like something just freaking whistled really loudly in my ear. You didn't hear that? No. I'm sorry. Well, I'm checking, and it says record. It's still recording. So I don't know. Okay, whatever. I apologize. So then they get, like, Pansy's like, I'm going to threaten you for a duel. And Hermione's like, you suck. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yes. And we see Hermione show some girl power. Yes. I really liked that, actually. I love that. I love how she lays down the law. And it's funny how Melinda brings back that reference to Hermione being scary from Prisoner of Azkaban. Yes. Not, yeah, is it Prisoner of Azkaban or is it uh, Philosopher's Stone? I think it might be Philosopher's Stone. Where, Philosopher uh, is the, where Ron says, you're brilliant but scary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But, you know, in at Prisoner of Azkaban, that's when Hermione goes around punching people, so. Yes, yes. I think Hermione, course. you know, in so many, she gets ragged on so much about Hermione being girl power and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, I, that is how I've always seen Hermione. Yes, yeah, she's bookworm, and yeah, she's kind of dorky, but when when it gets down to business, she's not going to let everybody walk on all over her. No, when push comes to shove, Hermione is. You know, she's the one that stuns Neville, and she's the right, one that, I right. mean, when when things get dirty, Hermione just rolls up her sleeves and takes care of business, like most other women I know. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I really exactly. don't want to hate you, but if I'm going to have to, then that's just the way it's going to be. I, I, anyway, so I, I'm all in support of Hermione power, girl power, because... I I think one it shows that she actually is in some ways more mature than the boys. And yeah. two, I like the role that they put her in where she's kind of the mother hen over them. Because I think if a girl like I don't know about you, but I grew up with friends that were boys and I was always the for the longest I was the the you know the little dumb blonde friend and then I turned into you know the the girl that they would talk to about all the girls that they liked. And then eventually it would be I was the one that was tying their ties and you help you know and I think yeah. I think Hermione is so similar in that. Yeah. So she grew up with the boys and she's she's right. very much a little mother. Yeah. She's very much a little mother. You know, not necessarily so much to Ron as she is to Harry from time to time, but you know, I think Harry and, and Hermione also have this dynamic wherein Harry really needs like a sister. Sometimes, and that's her dynamic. Like her relationship with Harry is very much like my relationship with my brother. You know that whole. But you, you know, my brother is also two years younger than me, and most of the time he acts like he's three years older than me. So, (laughs) brothers. um, I always wanted one. I did always want one. Yeah, I, I like mine, but you, so you can't have them. <laughs> I like mine. I can't say the same about my sister. No, I love her, but God, we're similar, and that's hard. Um, 
Anyway. My sister and I are complete opposites. More out of survival than I think anything else. Like, Fred, Fred and George, of course, they adapted to their situation by becoming as much like each other as possible so that they could, you know, take advantage of that. And yes. my sister and I went the opposite direction. We were as least like each other as possible so that we could cope. <laughs> right. So well, you know, I, my uh, my cousins are identical twins, and I, I they're very similar in that, in like you and your sister, there they tried their best to be as different from each other as possible. I I think that's the most common trait of twins, don't you, don't you think? Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm sure when they were younger, I think they tried to, you know, they would switch classrooms with each other and be the each other for you know when they were younger and. I don't know. So I'm sure that that's normal. Fred and George are unique. (laughs) They are unique. I think that at some point they had to make a conscious decision to do what they were doing. You know, I think that, um, you know, someday I'm going to play around with Fred and George for a little bit and and see um, just their characters because they're so interesting, you know. Yes. But I have to get get everything else done first. (laughs) Totally. So... I love the way that Melinda describes uh, the Dementors and Harry. Like, I know we were talking earlier about how there are certain scenes that she writes that she just kind of seems a bit plot-based and and doesn't really get into the character depth too much. It kind of just ends and goes to something new. I know we'd mentioned that. But I felt that this scene was very good and very well done. And, you know, you, you get caught up in it so quickly. And... Um, I really, I don't know if you, but Ron has some really sexy moments all the time. I don't know what it is about fan fiction and that everybody seems to capture Ron, that essence that is, that everyone, Ron is such a man sometimes, I think. Yeah, he's a little man sometimes. And you know, he has moments where he's much, very much a little boy also, but most of the time I think he's very much a little man. <laughs> Well, he he grabs Harry and is like, "Harry, I'm going to get you out of here." And I was like, "Yeah, Ron." And um, I I don't know. And I I just really liked how I just really liked that. I love when they, when they take the time to have Ron. And you know, and Harry's Harry even thinks, and I love his line. He goes, "Ron's got me. I should have known." Well, I know. yeah, that. That you should have. So perfect. So perfect. It is right you know? on. That is exactly Harry and his thought process. And like, it never dawns on him that somebody actually cares about him until they've got him. And then he's like, "I should have known. You were right, or I should have thought about that." Yeah. <laughs> well <yeah>. done. <laughs> that was a great moment, Melinda. That was perfect. I loved that and line. Oh, sorry. Anytime when they have, anytime they have um, Harry reliving that moment. Um, where, you know, his parents die. Oh, my goodness. I'm like, that's so awful for me, like, even in canon. I'm it like, how hard. how hard would that be to hear your parents die over and over and over and over again? It would be really um, weird. Yeah, and I think it would be especially strange for Harry because, you know, he he only got, like, what is it? How old was he when his parents died? Like, One I don't or... have like, Oh, in front of me. A little older, a like, little, little older than one, I thought. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit over one, and it's just like, 
uh, like that would just be awful. Like you wouldn't really know your parents, so the only attachment you would have would be to this memory that you have of your parents dying. Like oh god, it's awful. It is horrible. It's so horrible. I I know exactly what you mean though. But I, but and you I know think, oh sorry. No good. I was just gonna say I think that every time I read a scene about Harry. What and what he hears about the mentors every time I read it and it's done well. It's it's so it's so awful. It's still awful every single time I read it. It's just like that serious joke every time they do the no I'm serious or you know and I laugh. It's just one of those things that every single time it gets me and and so I was just really glad that she put it in because you know that's the truth of matters. That's what he really hears and and we should appreciate how awful it is. Yes. Because it's horrendous. I love how she hasn't fainting. I think that that's perfect. You know, yeah. he's without a wand. He's without defenses, which takes him back to Prisoner of Azkaban. Because I think that, you know, um, just based on recent events like in Goblet of Fire and in Order of the Phoenix and Half-Blood Prince, we we forget that the mentors are so awful because Harry always has his wand right there and he prevents himself immediately from having to go to this again with his expected Patronum um, spell. Right. But that's not normally the case. Like, normally, you know, your normal average everyday wizard would have to go through this. So I think that that's pretty... It's nice of her to remind us why dementors are so awful. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I particularly liked Malfoy saying, I mean, obviously, dementors are unpleasant. Why do they affect you so much? And, like, Harry actually says, I hear my parents screaming when while Voldemort murders them. Like... And he snaps it. But when have we ever heard Harry, like, outright say what he's, do- you know, what he sees? Yeah. So I, he, he tells um, Professor Lupin, he tells Remus, but I don't think that he's told anybody else. Like in Canada. Right, I don't think like, so. Serious. Well, that sentence right after that, even Malfoy had the good grace to look abashed. I just love yeah. that. Malfoy is like, becoming how- a person. <laughs> Yay! Yay, Malfoy! Actually, yeah. I'm not the world's biggest fan of Draco Malfoy, but I completely... I'm all for him actually becoming a character so I can care. (laughs) I know. Well, I mean, it's so hard because I I see so many similarities in Harry that I see in Malfoy. You know, and I love... Like, they have Tonks, you know, going, did you have any luck with your father? And, like he averts his eyes and he scowls and he just says no. You know, like, it's like the boy needs a hug. Yeah. It would solve all yeah. everyone's problems if somebody would just give Draco a hug. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It would make if if Draco's head of house had been anybody than, than Severus Snape, yeah. uh, that last year would have gone for Draco. Because I, I honestly think if, if, Snape is good, which, I, you know, he might be. If Snape is good, then what he did for Draco is huge, you know? Right. And I think that that is very much a testament to, um, you know, they, I read all these six, six lately because I've been, I've been kind of on a Severus Snape kick. I've been reading a lot of Severus-centric um, <laughs> pieces. And... Um, <laughs> <it's so> funny. <laughs> and um, 
I, I I think, you know, they have a lot of things where he hates teaching, and he's obviously not meant to be a teacher and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I really, I honestly think he probably, I don't see him sticking around, you know, if this wasn't something that he genuinely enjoyed doing. You know, and I think that, I, I, I hope that Severus is good, because, um, you know, I don't know. I hope Severus is good and that what he's doing, he did for Draco out of love. I hope that that gives, you know. You You know, know, the way that I think about it, honestly, is if Severus was trying to be a spy and trying to stay at Hogwarts and trying to get on Dumbledore's good side, wouldn't he make a bigger effort as a teacher to be a good person and a nice person? You know, it was like he was there by force. He didn't want to be I mean, it seemed very obvious that he didn't want to be there and that he hated teaching students. And yet, why would Dumbledore insist that he be there? Right. I, I don't know. So I think I have to think that Dumbledore and Snape, there's something going on there that we don't know about. I, well, hope, I, I, hope. Know, I don't think necessarily that Severus hates teaching either. I think some of that... I think he doesn't like Harry, but I also think that um, he's probably pretty okay to students in Slytherin. Right. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, his, even if, well, I guess he kept, he doesn't really have a choice in Umbridge, and Lockhart was kind of a dumbass, but, you know, <laughs> most of the time you would assume that they, you know, yeah. <laughs> He would keep he would keep Snape around for a reason. Anyway, we're maybe kind of Umbridge now, but. maybe Umbridge gave Dumble gave Draco a hug. <laughs> Ooh, can you? <laughs> that woman. Oh, I've never I've never wanted to burn a book so bad in all of my life, and it was just for that woman because somewhere in some universe she would be burned alive. It would have been beautiful. <laughs> I think that Imelda, who plays her, she's going to do it so perfectly. I'm oh, so too. excited that I'm she really got. That. I'm <laughs> really looking forward to that, and I'm hoping she's so awful she's never able to go out in public again. <laughs> oh, I do too. I hope that she gets scorned by children around the world. And you know what? What a compliment! Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I a lot. Oh, sorry. I, I, when I was in high school, I got to play all the evil characters. Oh, did you? Know? I don't know why. Yeah, because my my um my theater director used to tease me that he typecast and um <laughs> so because i was evil i got to play all the evil characters and um <laughs> i had a little boy after one particular performance come up to me and he told me i don't like you <laughs> oh <laughs> I man like, you. <laughs> i would have been like why thank you very much no i my dad played um you know we do a, a big easter uh production at our church every easter law of you know the what ha- the last the last supper and the crucifixion and you know him being yeah. yeah and my dad played a roman guard one year and i remember after it was over and everything and you know the people come up and talk to you and this little girl she must have been five or six and she came up and my dad was like you know my dad is a really gentle nice man when it comes to kids and um he was just like, well, hello. And she literally would not look at him. She said, I don't want to talk to this. She told her dad, I don't want to talk to him. He killed Jesus. <laughs> and 
I remember just laughing so hard. And my dad was like, oh, honey. And, like, I remember he took off his – he still wore his Roman guard plate, and he took it off. And it was just really a sweet moment. And, and so this makes me think of that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I really hope that she's evil enough. Oh, that God. People, I hope she's as hated in the movies as she was in the books. There was a universal – I remember after that book came out in the fandom, there was a universal hatred cry. of Umbridge. <laughs> yes. We were all just so oh, upset with her. I remember calling my friend Risa and just being like, I have never wanted to kill a book character so much in my entire life. <laughs> it was so oh. awful. And when she did the scar thing to Harry's hand, oh gosh. Yes. I was ready to yes. stab her. I got so mad. So mad. Okay. You should probably get back on topic. (laughs) Yes, okay. Back on the seventh of Earth. So they get, um, you know, they're trying to get home now and. Right. Off topic again. I got a, I got an, I got an IM today from one of our listeners. Um, and I've been getting a few, a few random IMs from from people, and and they, you know, they want to show their appreciation for Potterfic Weekly, which I think is really great and awesome. And um, so I got this girl today, and and her name is Sarah, and she's thirteen, and she's from Chicago. And she IM'd me to just let me know how much she loves the show, and that she's been a listener since episode one, and that she particularly loved the latest episode with you and Ryan and Rena, and can't wait to talk to you. Each personally, she's so excited about it. Oh, are you talking about me? Or are you talking about you? No, she, she talked to you. Well, I wasn't in the episode. She's so excited. About, oh, she really liked the latest episode. She said she specifically said, and that she couldn't wait to meet. Um, <laughs> that is so sweet of her. Isn't that sweet? I just thought it was very sweet, and I and I I I told Ryan I said we had a fan girl, and it was just really sweet. So anyway, shout out to her! Yay, Sarah! Thank you for listening. Um, Yay! Thank you for listening, and thank you for letting us know that you appreciate the show. It's always wonderful to hear from people. Absolutely. You know? So, <laughs> well, um, back to the story just a little bit. Uh, Harry and Draco and, and them they show up at. Grim old place again, and everybody's so ex- you know Hermione throws her arms around Ron, and you know she's really concerned. And all of a sudden, we see Pansy shriek at Draco, and mm-hmm. he's like Pansy. And you know, I have to admit that the reaction was not what I expected it, but completely, un- but completely not unexpected either. Yes. Well, can you can see, well, you saw Draco a little bit earlier talk about Pansy, and you kind of got the sense that, oh, maybe they have a real relationship. But I love the dynamic here between Draco and Pansy. I think it's brilliant. It I is it. brilliant. Oh, I laughed so hard when Pansy takes him up the stairs, and she looks yes. back like all of them should be jealous that she's the one. <laughs> I was laughing. I was like, sweetie, I'm sure nobody is upset. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I laughed so hard. And it was so perfect. And, you know, no. it's so not true because nobody likes him. And 
it's so obvious, and she's just clueless, like, because she thinks the world of him. It's so funny. I know. <laughs> it's oh, very funny. I still laugh at that. That is such a great scene. I'm trying to find the exact <laughs> sentence, because I swear I loved it. Sorry. Mother and Iris are here, too. Come upstairs and join us, and I'll explain everything, Fancy said as they climbed up the stairs. She turned and cast a victorious look over her shoulder, as if expecting that everyone else wished they had been the ones to lead Draco away. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, Pansy, you're just clueless. You're so cute. (laughs) No, it's perfect. So we get to see a lovely Ron Hermione moment, although he can't smile because he's grimacing because... They just got back from Azkaban. I love that moment. I didn't want to forget that moment. And um, what else happens? It's so much stuff happens. It's trying. It's hard to pick out. Um, what did you think of Tonks' reaction to Harry going and getting the the locket when she found out that's what they'd gone for? I, you know, I would have been pissed too. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering why she didn't assume. That it would be something important. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, she thought Harry nearly got himself doing... killed only to get a present for you. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a little bizarre. I was like, mm. I don't think we've ever seen Harry do anything like that drastic for something really trivial. You know, or something that he thought would be really trivial. I mean, like, you know, he does go to the Ministry of Magic and, and does kind of blow that whole thing. But then... It was, you know, he thought that Death Eaters had Sirius and he was going to go rescue him. So, Well, but that's always through Harry's point of view, you know. And I liked that she let us see a bit of of everyone else's point of view. Like, we get to see what Tonks, who has no idea what Horcruxes are and blah, 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 what she's thinking of them and how it must look. And when you think about it, you're like, you know what? I would have been like, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> a locket? We're risking our lives for this? Exactly, exactly. I was pissed. <laughs> that would not have been, that would have not have gone well at all if I'd have been talked. <laughs> but, so, yeah. But I love that they're getting back and Hermione, um, it's just, I, I have a feeling she's just sitting real near Ron and, and he's finally like, blimey, I'm starving. And Hermione's like, I'll go get sandwiches. And he goes, thanks, love. And he says it softly. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> I always squeal. Oh, I know. Oh, there's so many. I love I love how Melinda does understated romance. Like, there's not. <laughs> anytime she does these, like, grandiose, you know, scenes that are supposed to be very romantic, for most of the time they fall short with me. But it's the little moments yes. that I love. I live for. Like, that's, Absolutely love. It's what makes this story, like, it's what makes me keep going for more of those little moments. You know? Yes. And we get to see um, at the very end of this little scene, um, Hermione returns with food, and Harry is snoring against Jenny, although she finds his weight oddly comforting. You know? And, and Ron doesn't eat. And they and Hermione notice and Jenny look at each other and they're like, you know, this must have been a bad day. 
And yeah, I like that. I really <laughs> like, you know, if Ron doesn't eat, he's upset. And it's so true. Yeah. And I always forget about that little quirk about him, you know. But he doesn't eat before the Quidditch match, you know. Yeah. So I, every, 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 every day, otherwise, he's, like, starving, you know, all the time. He's hungry. But if it's been a really bad day or if he's about to do something really stressful, then he just doesn't eat. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. It's it's nice that Belinda picks up on these little things from canon that everybody else seems to forget. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, okay, so the next scene we find out that um, Malfoy and Pansy have been going around the house exploring, which I thought was kind of cute. (laughs) And uh, I I liked it, and although it made me sad because Harry is jealous of the fact that they're they're doing it. Yeah. And I have to admit, I found it a little nosy, but also what I would probably be doing. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's interesting that, because, you know, we mentioned this um, when we recorded the first time, but it, it doesn't seem to me like Harry and Jenny are missing all that time from each other. Like, it seems to me like they're together a lot. And then every once in a while, you know, Melinda brings up this point where Harry's, you know, wishing he had more time with Jenny and yada, 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 and all this stuff. And I'm like, aren't you together, like, every day? Like, that was the sense <laughs> that I got from the story, was that they were, like, together every day and... Yeah, I yeah. I've just been in. I've been in too many long distance relationships. I think I'm like, you gonna see them more than once or twice a year. <laughs> I know they're yeah. they're getting their time together. <laughs> Quit whining about it and just enjoy it. Um, yeah. I, no, I agree. I really do. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, I'm trying to think. Is this? I think this is where Harry finally sits down with Remus. And this is actually one conversation that I like Remus again. <laughs> you know? You know, except for there's a couple of paragraphs and there's there's some great Remus moments in here. There's some moments where I'm like, okay, that came out of left field. Like, Remus would never be that open. <laughs> right. Ever, ever, ever in a million years. So. But, you know, know, well, it's her Remus, so. <laughs> I really am. I just like anybody's famous but mine. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's hard. I just don't talk about it. It's hard. But he's like my favorite character. But. And it's uh yeah. But I, I kind of liked him and I liked where we get to see Remus realize that, that he screwed up and we get to see a little bit into his past, you know, about how we used to be a follower and and although I was glad that they acknowledged it, I, I still felt that he shouldn't have done it in the first place, that it wasn't necessarily very Remus to be angry and upset and I don't know. Yeah. And so then Harry starts, like, and I love that Remus puts two and two together. Like, I don't think Harry actually says, yes, we're going to search for Horcruxes, but Remus figures it out anyway, and he, he just gets it, and he gets the severity of what it is and what it means, because I don't think anybody's actually even realized that Voldemort has done this, which is terrible, you know, and and it's like he goes from teacher slash adult to um, I screwed up and whatever you need me to do, I'm going to do it. Yeah, in like a blink of an eye. (laughs) Right, consider it done, you know, I'll, I'll take care of this. 
and then he's so helpful suddenly. Do you want me to come with you? And I kind of was, I don't know. Like, Remus is like, a, he was a, the best defense against the dark arts teacher. Yeah, he's kind of weak and stuff around the moon, Tom. But um, he's, but Harry's like, no, I just need you to, to do research. Ron, Hermione, and Jenny are going to help me come save the world. But thanks. I'm just gonna, Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't quite get that. I mean, at least in, you know, I don't, Canon doesn't go there, but, and I'm not going to, I guess I will compare it a little bit to After the End. At least in After the End, everybody had their own job, and it was a purposeful for that character. Yeah. In this story, it's like she decided to give four characters the main role, and everybody else just kind of had to deal with it. And it really is not, it doesn't make a lot of sense sometimes that those four characters are taking care of anything because she doesn't give adequate background why everyone else is not involved. I mean, she kind of uses the cop-out, well, Dumbledore uh, wanted it to be a secret between him and I. But if we look at what canon shows us, like what is the central theme of what canon shows us? that you can't do things alone, that you don't have to do things alone, and that there are people who love you and support you. And yes, it may not be your immediate family, but there are people who will help you get to where you need to go and it helps you grow. And this fic yeah. kind of, I think, I think what rubs me the wrong way so much about this fic is the fact that it doesn't keep that, that underlining theme running through it. Um, that captured so quickly in after the end. That was captured so quickly in after the end. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It kind of it. it you know, it's not like she's doing it intentionally, but it's kind of like she's taking two steps back from, well, even Order of the Phoenix, like what Harry had to learn in Order of the Phoenix. You know, and I, I, um, yeah. There's some. You almost wish Harry would stop and think for a minute, <laughs> like. You know, take the help that's offered you when, whenever you can. And I think that if there's one thing you have to learn from Dumbledore's death as well, it's that you can't be manipulating people and, you know, trying to get people to do things without giving them adequate explanations and yada yada and all this stuff. So, um, it's, it's interesting. I understand why she did what she did plot wise, you know. It's, it's, you know, it's more easy to handle if you just have four. You can do the romances better when there's not adult right. around. Right, You know, I understand the reasoning. It's just that I maybe there should have been a better... Well, I'm not... Don't know. get me wrong. I'm not insulting it because it's her story to tell. And if she wanted those four characters to save the world and leave everybody else behind, I'm all for it. Like, I'm enjoying the story. But I just felt that it's it's harder for me to accept this fic as... Um, as something really, I don't know the word, as something that's really easy to relate to, I guess, because because I think I related to those underlying themes in canon and in some of the other character-based fics that I've read. And this fic is a very plot-based fic. And I can't say this is a bad fic because it's a plot-based fic, um, because it's not. That's it's a good, 
it's an awesome fic. I mean, that's why we're doing it because it's really wonderful and it's really well done. Um, and in fact, in some retrospects, it's more like canon than some of these other fics that I like that are so character-based because, as we've just discussed, canon is not very character-based. No, not at all. So it's kind of like, where do you draw the line? Um, where does it, is this story better because it's more like canon or is it less, um, g is it not as good as other fanfics because it's not so character-based? I mean, what it, I guess that all goes back to the whole conversation of what is the, the basis and purpose of fan fiction. And I really like that this story exists because it shows that, Fan fiction can be both, and fan fiction that is both can equally be done as well in the category that it is written in. Right, right. I completely agree. It's just it's a matter of what you like and what you don't like. You know, I right. I I write more plot based stories. I think I don't really more plotted. Yeah, I don't spend as much time on emotion as after the end did by any stretch of the imagination or some of the stories I've been reading lately. Um, but I think, you know, it's interesting to see where each of these authors takes. Where, it's funny because we're all given the same outline. And right. you can interpret Mel Preg. thousand and one different ways. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, I think what's so strange for me, and I, I'm sure I've said this before, but her other fic, The Power of Emotion in, in, in sequel, I mean, let's, look at the title. The power of emotion. I mean, even in the title, you can tell that it's a character-based fic. That they're, right. to show emotion, you have to get pretty in-depth with character. And I think that I expected the same kind of story in this, and I was disappointed that it wasn't the same, but not disappointed in that this wasn't a good fic, but disappointed that in my mind I had thought that it would be written one way and it, it, and it was written another. And it took some time getting used to it. She's one of the few authors I know that can do both. Write both. Yes. You know, yes. There's so um, a lot of us are very much we write in one style, and that's the style that we write in. And if we try to do it a different way, it just doesn't seem natural. And and so it, it's not that it doesn't seem natural. It's just that we expect certain things from Melinda Leo, and then when we didn't get them, it took us a minute to you readjust our heads. <laughs> Right. I think. Because well, I know. read Power of Emotion and Curse of the Damned pretty much voraciously. And and this was, uh, I came back and read this later. And, well, of course, I was I was in this fandom when, during these were, the times when these were being written. So, um, yeah, I was reading them all as they were being written. But, anyway, point being that it's just a different style than what her other Right. Was. Well, I think, I keep, I keep thinking of With All My Love, honestly, I keep going back to that. And um, I think that you do such a good job in that you capture, like if I would say, if I would say anything to describe that story and the way that you wrote it, it would be between right smack in the middle of, of, of a character-based story and a plot-based story. Because you you keep the plot going. I mean, that's something that there's always something happening. There's something, you know, there's a purpose, a grand purpose that everything is working towards. And yet you take a few minutes to get a character deep with a few of your characters. Um, with most of your characters, I should reword. Um, and 
And so I can I can say that there were one or two scenes in With All My Love that I was like, I felt that the romance, the romantic scene could have gone a little bit longer or, uh, you know, the plot took over a scene that I thought could have been spent a little bit more on character. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't take away from how good the story is in itself. It just, um, it's just that style of that story, yeah. you know, and I think that's something that readers don't consider all the time is the the style that, that goes into, I'm sure you thought, I guess what I'm asking is you thought about how you were going to write it and how in-depth each character was going to get before you wrote right. it. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that I can see that in a way Melinda made a conscious effort with this story not to get very character deep. Right. Because she well, had I'm a sure story to tell. I'm, right. I'm sure she sat down and she was going to write a more canon-esque story. You know, she sat down and um, she was going to tell a story that was more reminiscent of what Joe would write versus what Melinda would usually write. So, right. I mean, I can see, I understand why she makes the decisions that she makes, um, you know, during the course of the storytelling. So that that part of it, yeah, I completely agree with you. She made a conscious decision to tell the type of story that she decided to tell, and it shows. So yeah. it's just that... You know, it's just a different style than what you normally read in fan fiction. Not everybody takes this very dry plot. I mean, canon-esque. It's emotional moments. Yeah, canon-esque. Canon-esque. It's the perfect word for this type of story. And I think yes. in in the same, you know, I think it's um, it could be a compliment, I guess. I know that there are parts in canon where I just go, ugh. Why couldn't we have seen more of this? Why can't we see more into Harry's mind here? Why, um... And yet, the plot is so good in canon that you you get a sense of what Harry's feeling. I mean, what's the first time in canon that we actually see Harry show what he's feeling in depth? And it's not even showing what he what he's feeling. He's screaming it at Dumbledore, right? You know, and and by that point we realize, oh, you know, he's really upset. This is not cool. Things are bad. Um, but in stories like After the End. It's it's what's not said, it's not it's what's not pointed out that makes it so deep and and you feel, um, I I think I think what I really am trying to say is that this story is a fun story to read because you're always going what's going to happen next and the suspense is is what keeps you going like in canon what's going to happen and there are fakes like after the end. And with all my love and things like that, where not everything has to be pointed out, where they draw you a picture and you kind of have to feel your way as to what the character's going through. And they do it in such a way that you can't help but be pulled along by it. Do you know what I mean? Right. So, I completely agree. So, okay, anyway, I don't mean to keep going on. I just... And I, I just love I love both both sides of of the of the spectrum, and and Melinda captures this side so well. It's it's really amazing. She's she's definitely a good representation of this stylist. Like Ryan keeps talking about how um, they we want to cover so many um, different ships and all this stuff. And I think you know another thing that we should really be paying attention to is by is different styles, and this is definitely a change of pace from after the end. 
Yes. So, um, it's a good, I'm so excited now that I've gotten into it and kind of realized what kind of story this is, instead of being kind of bummed that it wasn't a character, but actually figured out what kind of fic it is and appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. You know, it's so much better this time around, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, once we've kind of gotten to this, um, you know, you and I have kind of hit our stride reading again. So that's that's going to be good. Yes. So, um, so what happens um, next? <laughs> I have this, like... <laughs> okay. What are you laughing at? Oh, nothing. Um. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh... <laughs> Okay, sorry guys, we're having a behind the scenes moment. Um, <laughs> um yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um okay. So really, let's 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 get we need we this chapter has been 2 hours long. Okay. Um Harry and Ron and Hermione and Ginny apparate to the place where Harry and Dumbledore went in Half-Blood Prince. And right. um I, I believe <laughs> Go. Oh, yeah, they're okay. We're still in chapter fifteen. Wow, I didn't realize that this yeah. is in chapter fifteen. Yes, we're still okay. in chapter fifteen. Um, and they they go. They have to climb down to the entrance, and um, it's really dangerous. But they they get down. They climb down, and uh, okay. There's one thing I want to talk to you about. Okay, it's just one line. It's. A, you know, it's a girl all the way down to the bottom. Okay. It should be near the top of the page. It's Jenny talking. And um, she says, don't worry about me, Harry. It's rather frightening, but I'm okay. I always feel okay when I'm with you. Jenny said, resting her head back on his shoulder. I laughed so hard. <laughs> this, is my, this is my observation. Oh, I was like, not only, does she, not only does she read trashy romance novels, she talks like she did one. <laughs> I was dying. I was like, okay, you're holding on to this skinny, gangly-boned 17-year-old boy, and you're like, I always feel safe when I'm with you. Like, I don't know. Harry Potter would be, like, the last person I would feel safe around. <laughs> like, to be quite honest. <laughs> oh, well, like, I don't know about that, because Harry's pretty um, pretty brave and and seems to to do rather well for himself in in tight situation, but I totally agree yeah, that it's, it's never it's always the other person that Harry's with that doesn't come out on the comes out on the bad side of things like I think and I think besides kind of the the slightly fantasy line there, like I can just imagine you know the the dress half open and billowing in the wind, yes. and him chestless yes. or on a mountain, um. But uh, it was the whole Jenny resting her head on the, his shoulder part because, to me, it made the scene lose a little momentum because, I mean, she's trembling and he's saying, don't touch the water, never touch the water. And then she's just like, I'm okay with you. Like, it's a date. And, like, rests her head yeah. on his shoulder. And and then suddenly they get out of the boat and move swiftly towards the chalice. And I, so I was kind of like... It was just like, oh, here's a moment they're together. Romance? Okay, let's get on with the plot. And I yeah, exactly. feel I feel like romance in that context is almost not worth it because if you don't have it there, it builds up to when it could be really good. But if you stick all those lines, that's what makes it feel like it's forcing us to, 
Okay, they're in love. It's romantic. Great. And you keep going. And it's almost, sometimes it's almost a hindrance, and it pulls you out because, like you said, you burst out laughing. That shouldn't happen in this scene. This is in no way a funny scene. Right, right. But it happens to me, too. Right, right. I'm glad you laughed, too, because I was totally getting the half-naked, like, (laughs) what's that guy's name? Fabio. I was getting this picture of Fabio. like Harry Harry Potter's Fabio <laughs> on the cover of a Harley Quinn romance. No, I mean novel. I've read fix like that and they are sexy, I tell you. But this is not a sexy fic yet. No. It has possibility. I but yeah, it's hard to be sexy when there's like these nasty little squid and ferny things like everywhere and Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. I'd be more concerned about like surviving. <laughs> yeah, that would be my top priority right now. Can I just tell you that if I saw a Dementor, I would probably see these freaking Inferni. She writes them, and yeah. I know that they were like this in Half Blood Prince too, because I remember being so disgustingly terrified of them. Um, yes. That at this point, my eyes widened, and I literally couldn't blink because I had to see what happened next with these Inferni. It scared the living crap out of me. I hate them. They're like roaches except that grab and pull. And I don't know about anybody else, but being pulled into a dark thing of water is extremely frightening to me. And yeah, I, I was a little it's upset. A like, it, it, you know, it's that scene in Lord of Rings where they're walking through that swamp. Are you a Lord of the Rings fan? Yeah. This is my Dorothy moment. Okay. <laughs> they're walking through that swamp, and um, the dead people are lying down. Like, this is the image oh, that yes. I get in yeah. my mind. And that is the creepiest scene in the books and in the movies, I think, of Lord yes. of the Rings. And it's the same here. There's just something about... It's, it, it's essentially a zombie, but there's just something about that soulless, walking dead concept that just really creeps me out. <laughs> and here I am. I think I envision like those nasty mermaid people from the movie. Mm-hmm. That there's just billions of them. Oh, oh, that scene made me freak out. I did not like it. Um, but yeah, I think my biggest, I, I was slightly disappointed though that they never make reference to f- having the fear of um what would happen they never have the thought of what would happen if they did get pulled under like it's never mentioned like you're just and i figure i felt that if it was mentioned if it had harry think for just a moment at how awful it would be to be pulled under or what would happen or even wonder um because maybe she was trying to show that in a time of angst and, and craziness that that's just not something you think of but I think that I would think of it. I think that would be the first thing on my mind as to why I'm afraid of it and why I don't want to be pulled under. And yeah, I, I don't want to be friends. I don't want to be in the next meal. Well, yeah, yeah, and they don't make reference to it. And I thought it could be, it could have been as freaky as it was. It could have had that really depth of scariness if they had mentioned what might happen if they get pulled under. And they didn't. They, I mean, it's just kind of. They have to stay afloat. We know that it's. We know that there's impending doom if they get pulled under. But right. I was curious, nonetheless, of yeah. what would actually could they could they get out? Would they drown or would they be eaten? Um, or do you know? 
what's the purpose of being pulled under? Right. I don't. I don't know. We don't know. So I'm curious. So the, I was curious about in the Half Blood Prince too. So. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, I, we don't know. We don't know anything. We just know they're just creepy. Creepy. <laughs> Apparently, that's enough. So he gives her. Uh, they fall out of the boat. Um, right. Or they get pushed into the boat, out of the boat. I think this was a little confusing to me. They get pushed out of the boat, but onto a rock. Something like that. Yes, they're on, mean, they're on a rock. There's a rock. There's. I don't think that one critique I can make of Melinda is that there's not really great clear picture of what is exactly going on yes. during the action sequences in this. I think if I had been a beta reader and was reading it, I'd be like, there's a lot of really great language here, but I'm not understanding exactly what's going on. Like, a lot of times, if you mention something, you know, um, they're on a rock, you know, blah, 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 you have to say, you know, you have to reinforce that with some dialogue. Like, right. you, know, okay. you, know, you know, like, and he, he reached down and pulled her onto the surface of the rock, like, reinforcing. Yes. What's going on with dialogue is one of the best tools that you have for action because some people, like me, sometimes when I read text, I can get really clear pictures in my mind, and sometimes I need help. So, you know, you have to do whatever you can to ensure that the audience has a really clear picture in their head of what's going on. I think some more dialogue in this chapter would have been advantageous. Yeah, I I think it was also some of the words that she used are not necessarily familiar words in everyday conversation, and so it was hard to get. Like, for example, um, Harry, um, he's he's reached down, he's grabbed her, and he's tugging her with all his strength. I'm just going to read here. When she surfaced, he pulled her away from her captor and pushed her towards the boat. Hang on, he said, giving her a boost. So she could cling to the capsized underbelly. To me, I mean, and I read it really slow, and I still don't understand if he is on, if he's on the rock, okay, and he's pulled her to push her, and then he lifts her up, he gives her a boost to get under, to get under the boat, because that's kind of the, yeah, I'm really and then I couldn't understand if they're under the boat, wouldn't the Inferni, Inferni pull them under more? You know? I mean, well, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm really confused. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> so, okay. Like maybe, I have it in my notes. I'm like, I, I don't understand. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not trying to be like critical or rock. anything. No, it's totally fine. Like, they're on the rock, and then they're that's in not the boat. okay, and they're trying to get back on the boat, but the Boats upside down, so they have to try and turn the boat over, but they're not really trying to turn the boat over, and then they're underneath the boat, and no one for you grabbing them, and I'm confused, and I don't know. Maybe Melinda Melinda can, like, send me an explanation, because I'm not getting it. Like, I'm just not... Maybe if, maybe if Ryan were here, he would be able to explain it to us. Something's wrong. Houston, we have a problem. Hi, it's me again. They were on the rock, and they got into the boat, and on their way back to the shore, the boat flipped over, so the underside of the boat was now on top, and that's what Ginny was holding on to. It's kind of like the scene from Titanic, except instead of, you know, a door, it's it's the bottom of a boat, and 
Ginny wasn't actually trying to drown Harry and knock him in, into the water so she could have the boat all to herself. That didn't happen here either. But other than that, it's it, it's exactly like the scene from Titanic. I'm going to get out of here now. I'll talk to you guys later. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye. Okay, well, this is what... This, what, this is what really, really was the kicker to my confusion. I'm going to read again. It said, the boat jerked and suddenly began traveling across the water back in the direction they'd come. Harry and Ginny clung to the bottom, their fingers aching as they tried to wriggle out of the water as much as possible. Um, as they moved, they hit many floating corpses, blah, 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 causing the boat to rock and tilt. Now, what that kind of gave me an impression of was that... Um, they're under the boat, but they're pushing their bodies up to be above the water. But then in the next sentence, it says, Jenny buried her face in Harry's chest and clung as he held her close. Okay. So if Wait, they're under... Their fingers were just aching from hanging on. <laughs> I'm really confused. Does like, Harry have the like, superhuman... It's super Harry. It's super Harry moment. Oh my goodness, I'm so confused. I am so confused. Like, the picture in my head is so Sesame Street right now. Just, like, totally not making sense at all. Not Sesame Street, like Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse or something. I know Melinda is going to respond to this, and she's going to write something like, well, if y'all had just read closer here and here and here, it explained perfectly, and we'll see it and we'll go, oh, but... As is. If y'all wouldn't podcast at 2 o'clock in the morning, you would understand. <laughs> as is. Okay. I'm just a little dumbfounded as to what the heck is going on. And it, and it, I was so somewhat amused by my confusion. Yeah. That it was just I, like, and then they pass out, I guess. I, I, I guess. Because they, I guess they're on top of the boat now. Okay. No. Because then, as when they reached the edge of the lake, Harry slid off the boat into the knee-deep water and lifted Jenny onto the shore. So that makes oh, me Fabio think... Fabio again. <laughs> you know what would be even better? You know what would be even better if her robes were half open and her hair was dripping wet. And even though she was soaking and cold, he was still... Madly attracted to her. Well, and she's not wearing a bra, of course, and her shirt is white, and with the water, yeah. it's just seducingly, you know, taut. And right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think that you and I read too many sluts. That's so that's true. It's so true. That's because that's what we're thinking about. Is a reading like this would be a great sluts. Yeah. <laughs> I know we're not supposed to talk about boobs, but you know, you know, seriously, here, this is just a boob moment, and it is a boob moment. It's what's Ryan not written. Very proud of us. It's what's it's not, not written. You know. <laughs> but we all know what happens when you're wet and you're cold, and that's bad. Exactly. And, um, so, so I guess yeah. okay. So I guess that means that the boat was flipped over, and they were riding on top of the flipped over boat. Although it still doesn't explain how they're clinging to each other and clinging to the boat and...
Something's wrong. Houston, we have a problem. It's a boat. It's upside down. And Ginny's underneath Harry, so her face is kind of kitty-cornered against his chest. And uh, forget it. By the way, I'm starting a drinking game. Every time Jen says Inferni and not Inferi, I, I am taking a shot. I'll be back next week. I hear we get to sing the national anthem. Bye. Don't you think your legs would be tired? Like, if you were right? I don't know. I'm just very... Anyway. That would be a great roller coaster ride. <laughs> yeah, seriously. You know... It just really grossed me out that they're bumping into, like, the dead inferni. And, like, oh. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's disgusting. It gave me ookiness. Like, I wanted to vomit at that point. So, yeah. So, I just, anyway, back to the clothing. I love that Harry, he feels that his drenched clothing is heavy and cold. And, you know, and, but he has enough energy to, you know, pick up the the tiny and feminine and petite Jenny and hold her against him. Yeah. You know, I just keep thinking. In most, of course, she's probably got curves in all the right places. Like she's small and petite, but she's curved in all the right places. I know. I never understood that. Like you're either bony or you're curvy. I don't get yeah. an in between, and I don't know. Most of the time, I imagine them relatively the same size, which is kind of. In but this is manly, Harry. Okay. Anyway. Well, I mean, have you given a sense that Harry is very tall in the books? Like, Harry and Ron are tall and kind of skinny. <laughs> well, Ron's, Ron's tall and he's got the Weasley buff. Like, that's how I imagine Ron is that he's kind of filling out into a man, but Harry's probably kind of tallish and very skinny with a really large Adam, Adam's apple. Yes, you know, kind yes. Kind of reminiscent of my cousin Rob. But, um, I, I don't know. And, and I always get the sense that Jenny is kind of a small firecracker. Yeah, like, uh, that's true. A so short I, I guess and I this. Yeah, I think movie Harry has somewhat. I've been a little disappointed by his shortness. Mm-hmm. I have to just admit, and you know, I don't know. I always saw Harry and, and Ron as. I even saw Hermione as somewhat petite and feminine. I guess, um, just yeah. really thin, and you know. I, didn't, I never saw Hermione as very curvy and luscious, which I'm sure she'll turn into. I'm sure she probably is now, book six and seven. Um, but I always saw her on the thin side, and you know. Um, yeah, I always, I always imagine Hermione kind of as on the thin side as like I always imagine Jenny is very like she would be the voluptuous one. Exactly, Jenny, she would be just mind. beautiful and, and curvy Hermione, and perfect. Right, because, like, they, I think that, you know, you have Harry, who is very skinny yeah, very gangly and very awkward. And then you have Jenny, who is kind of on the short side and kind of kind of like me, a little bit skinnier than me, like short <laughs> and voluptuous and, you know, very skinnier, you looking up, like that type of thing, whereas yeah. Hermione would be kind of a little bit taller, maybe 5'3", five, 5'4", five, you know, a little bit skinnier, not uh-huh. as voluptuous, because yeah. then she goes better with Ron, who is very, like, ugh, buff. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's I can actually see Ron. In my mind. Oh, I know. It's so great. But yeah, I, but I've, you're right, but I've always seen Ron as really tall, and, and Harry kind of in between. I never saw Harry as, as tall as Ron, but 
certainly not as short as as poor Dan is. But anyway, to to keep going, um, just to keep going, uh, the Inferni happened, um, and they run into Wormtail, who is mewling. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it appears that Ron and Hermione, you know, have have captured him, and they right. they that the Inferni came after them, that they the Inferni had even come to the shore to get them, which was weird and scary. Yes. And, yes. but they're all Seems torn like, up. Right. So I'm they're not... They're all torn up, they're bloody, they're bruised. They have Wormtail, which of course is very sinister, but that leads to them finding out that Snape is around. Yes, that Snape is leading them. And I remember thinking that this was very weird because I never saw Snape as the leading for the dark side kind. Like I saw him very much either a loner or a severe follower. And so it was what what was the scene that you thought this this reminded you of? We talked about this the other day. Kind of reminds me of like a dirty Harry scene because the dialogue between Snape and Harry is so very um. It's not that it's it's a little bit out of character because they spend too much time talking to each other and revealing very personal, intimate thoughts as they're desperately trying to kill each other. Like I think would think they would spend more time just like you know, Patricia Totalis and Lovely Corpus and like every like just boom, 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 boom. Like they would spend more time killing each other, but no, Snake has to spend all this time like. I hated your father, and you know Harry has to, you know. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's just very. I'm, just like, it's, I'm so over it. <laughs> like, if Snape is evil, make him evil. If Snape is good, make him good. I just, I don't think that you. She's making all these adults too open. One thing that yes. happens as you age is that you become. At least I've noticed you become less likely to open up and share your story with every Tom, Dick, and Harry that you meet, you know? So, um, it's just, it's kind of frustrating to me because I'm like, uh, like, you have to have character development to get to that point where he's blaming all his life problems on James Potter. Like, it's just not believable for me. To clarify your your thing of them being open, um, I think what you're trying to say is that... Um, that in, in in this scene, just like many others that we, we have some issues with, it doesn't feel like the character is having time to get from point A to point B. It's, it's again, I get the feeling that Melinda is telling us how we're supposed to feel at that moment. It's, it's basically that when characters are open, that we're just being told, uh, this is how... Snape is feeling he's very angry and so he's going to yell at Harry about his past and how much he hates James Potter you're supposed to feel very angry at Snape Harry is very upset you know it kind of reads like that and and instead of getting a feel of we don't know why Snape is there we don't know why Snape is suddenly leading the Death Eaters because as far as I know with the exception of the last scene in Half-Blood Prince where Snape bellows don't kill him. The Dark Lord doesn't want us to to hurt him, you know. And he barely is constraining his rage on Harry as Harry ran ran after him, you know, after he killed after Snape killed Dumbledore. 
Like that to me is the only time that we've seen Snape suggest to anyone else what to do Death Eater wise, you know? Yeah. And so I guess that's what was so jumpy for me to see Snape here leading this group of Death Eaters because to me, that's not Snape's character. I never saw him as, as that type. And so I felt it was a little pushed and a little bit stuck on rather than, you know, an author's purpose, I feel at some points, are to get us from point A to point B. And to do that, you have to give us some background as to why things happen, um, especially if you're writing canon-esque fic. And I felt that this scene was a little... Um, well, it just wasn't explained very well. We I don't we don't know why Snape is up here, and and to me it was a it was a story stopper. It's not that I couldn't accept it because if an author gives it to me, I'll accept it and I'll go okay and I'll keep reading. But it was it just made it not flow. It made it for me. It didn't make it because I kept wondering the whole time what is Snape doing here, and so I couldn't concentrate on the dialogue because. I kept looking for the purpose of why Snape is leading this and why he's he's the one that's here, and that was never satisfied. Right, right. I completely agree. We just don't. There's not enough um, development in this particular to this particular scene leading up to this particular scene. I don't think it falls short emotionally. Right. That's my my thing. That's what I've written down. So we have this next scene where Ron has been um, under the Cruciatus curse for a very long time, and Harry has carried him back, and Mr. Weasley, you know, is trying to get him to wake up, and and Hermione is just, has just lost it. Tears are coursing down her face, um, and Ron is just unconscious, and they have a lovely moment between Harry and Hermione where he whispers into her hair and says, come on, Hermione, he's going to be okay, which, you know, it, Hermione turns and buries her face into his chest, and it, <laughs> He's burying their face in Harry's chest lately. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Jenny keeps doing it. <laughs> um, it's a nice moment. I have written down here that I thought it was absolutely heartbreaking how Hermione is trying to get Ron's attention. You know, you know, she's trying to wake him <laughs> up. And, and it's like that scene in a movie where, like, the guy is dying and his wife is always, come back to me. Like that type of scene is a little bit like. <laughs> I love you. You can't leave me. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, uh, yes. I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, there's not really. Uh, to me, Her- Hermione burying her face in Harry's chest. Um, yeah. And although the romantic in me is going, oh, sigh, I love Harry. He's so manly, and all the girls just need him, and, and they're so wooful, and. Uh, you know, it just, I've never seen Hermione and Harry's relationship necessarily where Hermione would be burying herself into Harry's chest. Um, oh, he might give her a hug and an awkward pat. but yeah, I Like really an awkward that... side hug, like he'd throw his arm around her. But I don't see like a full frontal protective hug. I mean, to me, that's something that's sort of reserved for Ron. And they haven't even got around to doing that. Um uh, so, I, as much as I liked it, because there's not a scene written like this that I can't not like, it seemed a bit smut-like. Yeah. <laughs> In a not romantic way at all. 
And yet it's written in a romantic form. Right, right. It, it just seems to me like I don't go around burying my face in my brother's chest. <laughs> That's not something I do. I don't even do that to my husband. Um, if my brother is giving me a hug, then he does that. My brother is so hairy. But he does that, like, awkward side arm, shoulder pat. Yes, like, like, like he's not, not quite sure how to, what's appropriate, how to touch you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yes. That's that's more of a girlfriend thing than a, it's so funny because if you read the story, right, you can pick up Harry slash Vaughn vibes, you can get. Yes, Harry Hermione. Yeah. Yes. So, so Remus is there and I really like how Remus is motionless. I'm like, yay, finally some nondescriptive, emotional, character-based feeling in the story that's not, Remus is angry, (laughs) you know? I was so excited, and that Harry kind of is the one that puts himself kind of between them two, doesn't he? Yeah, I think so. In a way. And he kind of has to say, Remus, calm calm down. down. Yeah. Which I think would be near, if it was Remus that I think, I would think that it would be next to impossible to calm Remus down at seeing Pettigrew. I can see him having so much rage and so much anger that no matter, I mean, it would take a stupefying spell to keep him from going at him. Like in a way, like the werewolf would show itself just a bit there, if that makes sense. I don't. I don't think you could calm Remus down. I think. Oh you know, no. Very, especially since now that he probably view Peter as ultimately responsible for Sirius's death. Exactly. Yes. Oh, so, so I, I didn't see him calming down. I saw one of them, one or the other, forcibly being removed from the room. Um, and so I, I like Moody. I don't think I read very many fakes where I don't like Moody. Um. Um, I love Moody, even in canon. Oh, I just adore him. I do, and he's such a, like my father in so many ways. Um, (laughs) He's so gruff, and I think that's the perfect word to describe my father. Um, Anyway, I just love, I love Moody. And so, um, you know, Harry is holding Hermione's hand, and, (laughs) and she's whispering, he'll be okay. He has to be, he's Ron. And I thought that was very sweet. Yes, yes. You know, and they start talking yeah. about, you know, uh, Snape showing up. And yes. and we find out that, that, that Ron is actually very serious and that they have to take him to St. Mungo's. So we, we realize the severity. I mean, and I thought yes. that was very well done because we so rarely get, we so rarely hear about St. Mungo's with one of the characters because there's Hogwarts and there's Poppy, yeah. you know. And yeah. so, and only really serious Things are at St. Mungo's. And so it was very, I thought that was very lovely that she put it in there. That it was something Poppy couldn't do. So we, we keep reading and we find out at the very end of this chapter, which is something that I honestly was not expecting. The Wizen Gamut appointed a new acting minister until they could have an election. And the person that they appointed was none other than Dolores Umbridge. I was so shocked. I was so, I screamed. I was like, what? <laughs> okay, I know my original thought was, what the 
god! Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was dying. <laughs> I love it. So I think that's so funny. Yes, I hate I her. How can anyone write about her? I can't even think about her with wanting to just kick her. Ugh! <laughs> I hate her. So annoying. So we find out that Ron needs to be removed from St. Mungo's because because Dolores Umbridge wants to interview him or or, or something. Yeah, wants to figure out what Harry is up to, basically. Nosy little bad person. Yeah, right. So and so they break. <laughs> they go to break him out, and um, I have to say, there's so much of Harry that I love in this chapter. Um, it starts out where he's working the nurse over. You know, where he's, oh, he's yeah. playing the sexy <laughs> hero role, you know? And he's like, he's all... Hey, little know, lady. It's, it's, it's me, you know. Why not do it for me? Like, ripping of the eyebrows. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh my it's in Sandy. Could her name be any more, like... Vapid. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sandra D. Glowing with virginity. I love that. Won't okay. go to bed till I'm legally wed. I can't. I'm Sandra D. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. I swear, I don't wrap my hair. I get this from one spirit. I totally win that. <laughs> I love Grease. Oh, sigh. Okay, so Sandy here, he like plays her. Like, she's wrapped around his little finger. Oh, my goodness. He's quite the little manipulator when he wants to be. He's a sexy man. It was a little, it was yes. amusing to watch. Like, he's suddenly James Bond. Um, yeah. So, they <laughs> get in there. I, I was going to say Fabio, but James Bond works. You're stuck on Fabio. I think you have a thing for him. I, you know, I must. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. He's really sexy, so it's okay. No, okay. Well, they get in there, and it's like, dun dun, dun save the day, and like Hermione's sitting in there. Yeah. Aww. And and as touched as I was that she was there, I was kind of like, what the hell is she doing there? We're having to save the day. She can't just be sitting in there with Neville. It totally took the dun dun, dun out of my scene. Exactly. But it's <laughs> totally. Totally cool because you know you have to you know we understand we Harry couldn't be there because okay attract too much attention to Ron so Hermione being there is pretty it's it's touching but I want to talk about Neville Longbottom because if we don't Jules is gonna Jules will we'll kill us <laughs> Neville I love you Neville and he's so cute and adorable here oh. He just, like, pulls on his big boy pants and just gets the job done. <laughs> you really still work with kids. Uh, <laughs> what do you say? He pulls on his big boy pants. Yay, Neville! That was a good baby <laughs> boy. All by him and everything. Okay. I'm um, a big kid now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Remember how we were talking earlier about you trying to have kids? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So so they take Ron and put him under the invisibility cloak and Levy Corpus him out and Neville takes his spot. 
Oh, sigh. Neville, you are one brave SOB. <sighs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, oh, my goodness. And then, of course, Sandy gets her little vapid moment at the end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> tells him that he has very nice eyes. <laughs> you have very lovely He's eyes. Like, blink, blink. Here's my number. <laughs> exactly. He's like, thanks, baby. See yeah. you around. And then has, like, a Fonzie comb moment. Yep. Here's <laughs> that type of, yeah. And um, <laughs> then the next thing that happens is that Carrie <laughs> I'm laughing at my I'm sorry. TV I was just imagining Harry as Fonzie. I'm really sorry. Okay. Mm. <laughs> exactly. That would be so funny. Um, where he walks over, he hits the jukebox with his fist. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> Rides his broom around in the in the restaurant instead of the the motorcycle. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. That's perfect though because Ron Howard is Ron Weasley. That is so perfect. <laughs> oh God, no! Ron Howard is this dorky little kid. Ron is a man who curses uh-huh. like a man and spits like a man. Sorry, I just watched Titanic. Okay. Um. Okay. So then, of course. Um, Harry manipulates the press. That's my next note. Awesome. Um, awesome. And I, I was, um, this is interesting because I think the, uh, the interaction between Harry and the press is definitely a product of Joe Rowling's, um, you know, experience with them and how nasty they can be. Yeah. And um, it's interesting now that Harry, in Melinda's story, and especially then again in Half-Blood Prince and The Lord of the Phoenix, he starts to learn how to manipulate the press. Oh, and uh, he's learning how to be a good celebrity. <laughs> Have you noticed? Because good celebrities use the press to their advantage. They don't let the press take advantage of them. And um, <laughs> so Harry has something that he needs to get done, and he uses the press to get it done. And that's yes. that's it's nice to see him develop that way. I think it's very good. I I have to admit that I thought it was very good. And um. Well, like his moment where he, he does the, the apparition exam where he passes it and he goes out and he screams, I passed, and runs off. Like, I could not contain my squeal of excitement when that happened. Because it's something yeah. we've wanted him to do all this time, and I love to see him finally finally using what he can, his what what's at his disposal to to gain the power that he needs. And, and the, you know, I like it. Yeah. Yay! And, um, okay, so then after that. So um, I'm guessing mm-hmm. a lot of time has passed, right? I mean, it's almost yes. Christmas now, and Ron is still a vegetable. Yes, yeah. Is he like a kumquat or a squash? Yeah. <laughs> and instead of life and going on, life is angsty and sad. Right, right. Okay. Well, Good. probably. I mean, well, and we come to find out. Dolores um, Umbridge has issued a decree oh, saying God. that all these snowballs have to be locked up. I hate this part. Me too. I, I hate about, it. I, seriously, I was so frustrated. I had tears in my eyes. I was like, because it takes you right back to Order of the Phoenix in that emotional place that you were in Order of the Phoenix when she was doing all these horrible things to Harry. Yes. You know, and she had complete control and it was just awful. And, you know, that's kind of 
where you are right now. I just had in that place emotionally. I just had such severe problems with the the continuities that I didn't understand why Remus just didn't stay at Grimold Place because it's unplaudable. Sirius has right. been cooped up there. Why is it okay for Sirius to hide when it's for his safety, but Remus has to leave everybody and go underground and, like... I don't know. What? what? How is that I, helping I anyone? Totally, I didn't understand it at all. I totally didn't understand it. Like, I, I think it's brilliant that he's going to be this self-sacrificing whatever. You know, I wish Tonks would grow some cojones and just tell him <laughs> that he's not anywhere because simple places unplottable and it's ridiculous for him to put himself in danger that way yes like i would have liked him having this thought and then somebody talking him out of it that it's stupid thought that it's a stupid idea but nobody did everybody was just like it's suicide and then it was like this big i'm off to fight war and it was just you know and he like he pats harry on the shoulder and says good boy pat pat i'm proud of everything you've accomplished and then jenny he whispers he whispers down to Jenny, take care of him. Like it was such a God, I know that you hate this fake. I know you hate it. But in the Draco trilogy, there is a scene yeah. where where Hermione it's such a touching scene, but Hermione has to leave and because Harry has pushed her away so much that she can't she can't be there for him anymore. And she looks at Draco and tells Draco, you have to take care of him because I can't be there. He won't let me be there for him. And you have to be the one to do it. And then it's kind of, you know, the tissue in the in the air as the train goes away moment. And I felt like this yes. was such that kind of moment. And it, I, it's, I, it, I didn't understand. It was stupid. And you're just going, why do you have to leave? I don't understand it. Oh, so yeah. I don't know if I don't like it just because of plot or if I don't like it because the continuity, I don't understand why he doesn't just stay. Right. I think it's a continuity issue for me. Possibly, I, I, yeah. I was seeing, I was like, that's a big, huge gaping plot hole. Like, where was the beta reader going? Um, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> Hello. Like, this is a good idea, but... Something's wrong. Houston, we have a problem. Okay, I'm back. I can't guarantee this is going to make any sense because Jen said Infernie three times in like an eight-second period, so, you know, a little cloudy right now. But I took it to be that he didn't want to be useless. He saw what they did to Sirius, and in the same way that Sirius had to get out of Grimmel Place and help, I don't think Remus could have just sat in an armchair and read magazines until the end of the war. If he had to save Grimmel Place, he was useless to the Order. If he was out with the werewolves, he was at least doing something, something that he was doing in the last book. And I think it's comparable to telling Harry or Ginny, go upstairs and play until the war is over. They're going to find a way to get out. So it may not make complete sense, and it may not satisfy you that much, but that was what I saw as the third alternative there. I hope we um, see him later on, and he doesn't just go get killed unnecessarily in the underground, I guess in the, you know, black market. What I don't know. Whatever. Uh, I would be like, uh, where is the underground? Is that like the sewers? I don't... <laughs> I don't even they're know. All looking like, they're all like Diagon <laughs> Alley under the, under the great looking up. <laughs> <laughs> Please, sir. I want more. No. <laughs> Um, yes. 
and they um then the next thing that happens of course is that Harry and Ron after Ramus of course leaves the train station and we all wave goodbye and bye Ramus goes over and play it once more for Sam for me um <laughs> Sorry, I was having yeah, I was having the sound of music. Goodbye. I'm like they're freaking going exactly. to bed. Shut up. Thanks for coming to see our show. Um, <laughs> you know that song for the producers because at the end of this, we should totally sing that if we know it. I don't. I, the producers is actually not one of my favorite. Uh, I'm so oh. sorry. I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Not everybody can be perfect. Um. <laughs> we can sing any um, other musical. I'm pretty sure I know most of them. Um, okay, but then um, Ron and Harry, Harry goes in and he has this really like gut-wrenching conversation with Ron. Even though Ron's unconscious. And, even though Ron's unconscious. <laughs> and um, I, there's so much emotion in this chapter. I feel like I'm getting whiplash. Like, <laughs> Like boom, bottom, but like one crazy thing to another, and my neck hurts. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I I it's just I have to I admit know. that I kind of like like I admit that some of it was kind of over the top a little, but I have to admit that the one line that I really loved is this line: "Remus left," he said, his voice sounding strange in the stillness of the room, and. You know, and he watched the steady rise and fall of Ron's chest. He could have stayed hidden here, I suppose. He would have been trapped like serious, though. And he blinked again, staring out the window. But, you know, I I love that Harry can open up to Ron when Ron's unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, they totally would not have had that conversation if he had been awake. Oh, no. It was... It was almost like this is the kind of stuff that I love because we get to see a little bit of the character of what they're thinking, what they're feeling, without having to deal with somebody responding to their thoughts. It's a way to show us what they're feeling without it being over the top and dork, like, you know, like Jenny grabbing Harry's chest and saying, you're the only one for me, I love you. Um <laughs> This is much yeah. more believable. This is much more profound. And I really love that, that Melinda took the time to show how upset Harry is that Remus left. Um, and, I, and I just love that how she describes it. I think it's so important that she captures Harry's empty feeling by describing the stillness of the room. Yes. That's brilliant. That's good storytelling right there. That That's is perfect. spot on. I mean, you can't write better than that. That is the epitome of a good author, you know, yes. where they can make it you takes, feel something by describing right. by describing a room. And that has nothing right. to do with what's going on. And he blinks and he stares out the window. I mean, God, that tells so much about his personality. Yes. I'm, I'm glad agree. you agree. But then Jenny comes and, and they have some easy, warm feelings. Right, right. And then he throws <laughs> this little fit about how he can't do optimacy. Did you read this? And yeah. I was just, I was having fits because it reminds me of my piano students a lot. Because <laughs> they, like, they can master something really simple. Like they can play with one hand. They can play with their right hand. So we work on their left hand. They can play with their left hand. But then you ask them to 
play together and they throw this big fit, like, inevitably. You know, yeah. they just, like, break down and cry. Like, seriously, you know? they do. Like, yeah, do it. Yeah. And I'm just like, suck it up and deal. Like, it's hard. <laughs> it's, like, not everything is going to come easy to you. You're going to have to, you know, I can't make it work for you. You're going to have to make it work for yourself. Right. And well, sitting here and whining about it is not going to do anything. Well, I don't know. If- I can't do I can't do it as a teacher. For me, it's totally unacceptable. You know, that's just not even, not an option. <laughs> Well, I guess I never, I had students too. I don't know if, if many of our listeners know this, but my first degree is actually in piano performance. And um, and I would teach these students and they would get so frustrated with not being able to use both hands. And I they would ask me how how to do it. And I have no idea. I have no idea no, how to teach somebody. Um, and and, and I, I can't remember ever having ever difficulty having right I I don't it just I grew up doing it and so actually I'm sure I had some trouble it's just well, I'm it's sure insane. everyone does I remember yeah. one of my one of my worst I know we're off topic again I know one of my worst things was doing some of the major um Beethoven works and um in the right hand you're playing extreme forte and in the left hand you're playing very dulcet very pianissimo and it was very hard to teach myself to play with different strengths in both hands and so I I thought maybe similarly that was how they felt playing with hands together but I felt I was a really terrible teacher in that I could never explain how that's done because it's just second nature and I I, I don't understand how they don't get it you either can do it or you don't I guess (laughs) I don't know you just I think it's one of those things that you just have to teach your mind to do it. It's just a matter of constantly, constantly, constantly practicing. Yeah. That's the point at which you really have to love what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yep. And so here because Harry doesn't have any love for occupancy, it's probably why he's having trouble, but if he would realize why he needs it and apply himself then he would be moving much further along. Well I'm sure he resents it too. What's the point of learning it when the one that he loved didn't benefit from it? Why should anybody else benefit from him learning this when his only guardian parental figure, who he could have saved, he didn't learn it? He's, it's almost like he's punishing himself by not learning right. it because right. he should feel guilty for every single person that gets hurt by it because he wouldn't learn it. Hermione comes in to... And, um, God, he wakes up so perfectly wrong. Yes. He wakes <laughs> up with, I'm hungry. Like, <laughs> he's like, yes. Everybody's like, Ron, there you are. Like, it's so funny that he wakes up with, I'm hungry. That's just so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's it's just perfect. I, I what I really like about this scene and that she waited was that Ron could have woken up when Harry was professing his oh you've got to wake up I'm alone and I've got to go do this and I really need you to wake up and it could have been like and Ron eyes fluttered or you know and it would have been really cliche and stupid but they waited she waited long enough that I actually started doubting that Ron was going to wake up. Yeah and um. But and so to me, it happened at the perfect time. You know, 
long enough that I didn't think it would happen and not long enough that I wasn't completely, totally not expecting it, that I still it cheered. Like, I, that came out of left field, but it was so perfect. And, like, I love that Hermione burst out of, burst into tears, and Ron's immediate response is, have I missed presents? <laughs> <laughs> I just love that we had this really heavy chapter and we got ended on a light note. Absolutely. That was perfect because otherwise the story would have sunk under all this weight. So it was nice to have it feel kind of buoyant again. I think that I wanted Harry to hug Ron. Um, I don't think I wanted that. <laughs> you know. I don't, I don't think they needed that. I thought even like, I don't know. it. I, I love that Mrs. Weasley comes in and promptly bursts into tears. Like... That, Mrs. Weasley bursting into tears is like Ron being hungry. I love it. Well, so these were some really great chapters. They were. We have some notes from Free Winky um, over the last couple of chapters. I want to hit some of the ones that are um, kind of important. Okay. If that's okay. Yes, go. Um, she is talking about Chapter 12. She's going back to some of the things that we talked about. So um, Chapter 12, she's talking about... Um, she says, all of you girls will probably agree with me that no matter how much you cost your mom's ideas and no matter how much you grow up, there are still times when you just want to crawl into your mom's arms for a hug. So oh, true. It's so true. I know. It's so true. Um, so she goes, you know, when these four, let's call them the quartet from now on, have uh, have been through a lot, have been forced to be at the eye of the storm. So when somebody like Madame Pomfrey refers to them as, quote, children, I feel so good. It makes me feel that, yes, no matter what happens in the war, in canon or in fan fiction, they are, in fact, children. As a matter of fact, have too much on the plate, to have much more on their plate than normal 17-year-olds would have. So the record, I think they handle it well with amazing sense of maturity, at least when it comes to war. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Um, very she goes, Ron, uh, this is again in Chapter 12, Ron is very rarely shown to state something in a very matter-of-fact manner. This nature is brought on whenever Ron and Harry talk about Jenny, and Ron always hits a bullseye. Actually, I think we tend to put Ron in a box. Ron is a very complex person and is very difficult to write in. In this book, I really like Ron. Actually, Ron's portrayal of the movies is the most unsatisfactory. But they always portray him as a coward and crybaby. Come on, Ron is much more than that. When will the filmmakers realize that. I watch every movie hoping it will portray Ron in a better way, and I'm always disappointed. I hope this upcoming movie portrays Ron as well. <laughs> She's so right. I totally agree. <laughs> exactly. Um, so then we'll move on to Chapter 13. She goes, I was honestly touched when I read about what Jenny did for Hermione. When I read it first, I didn't think much of it. But when I read it the second time, I realized my eyes were misty. In the present time, who does stuff like that, or even smaller acts for others? If we could just spend a second or two thinking about others or doing something for someone else, the world would be a much more beautiful place than it actually is. Great. So chapter 14, all she says is, Ramus Tonks is one of my favorite skips next to Harry, Jenny, and Ron Hermione. I find it very nice and cute that Ramus is used to the fact that Tonks is an accident prone and is used to catching when she trips. They are so used to it, they don't even think twice about it. That's really cute, though. I have to agree. And then Chapter 15, she says, Melinda brings out the striking resemblance between the lives that Harry and Sirius lived after Lily and James died. Both of them lived a life devoid of positive emotions. Both of them spent their life in an enclosed space that had nothing to look forward to. Sirius, the prison cell. Harry, the cupboard of the staircase. Sirius had memories of the days spent in happiness that kept them going. 
Harry had hopes for days spent in that happiness that kept him going. Both of them are strong people. That is what helped Sirius get out of Azkaban. That is what has kept, has kept Harry sane in spite of the power that is threatening to kill him. I agree. I agree. How <laughs> how horrible a place Azkaban must be that it took Ron and Harry weeks to recover from it. In Ramus's words, whatever you are imagining, the reality is ten times worse. Shuddering. Mm-hmm. So, those are Free Winky's comments on chapters 12 through 15 of... The Seventh Warcrux. Thank you, Free Wakey. Thank you, Free Wakey. We love having you. Oh, yes. yes. We love everybody's. And anyone else who wants to comment on this episode, you can either email us at staff at potterfakeweekly.com or you can send in a voicemail or you can join the forums. (laughs) And let us know. We always respond to comments there. Yes. And... We're really excited. I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about this next episode. I think um, there's the potential that three of us are going to be there. Oh, my gosh. It's going to be so much fun. And if anyone wants to volunteer to be a guest host, just let Ryan know at ryan at, at com and kind of just let him know your interest. And we will keep you in mind because we love meeting new fans of the fix that we read. Um and we love hearing and what you have to show. say about them. And fans of the show. I was trying not to be love fans of the show. <laughs> I was trying not to be conceited sounding. <laughs> oh, I don't care. If you love the show, <laughs> we love you. No, um <laughs> I feel like we should sing a song. We should sing a song. What song should we, we should end with? Song. What should we end with? I don't know. So long, um, farewell. I don't know. I can't get the front of music. saying goodnight. I hate, we hate to no. go and miss this something, something, something. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Jen. Oh. Thanks for coming to see our show. I'm sad to tell you we got to go. Wave goodbye and head for the door. In case you didn't notice, there ain't any more. If you like our show, tell everyone bye. If you think it stinks, keep your big mouth shut. Bum, 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 bum. We're glad you came, but we have to shout. What are your fun of love? You just say, how to fall. Goodbye. Goodbye. It kind of sounds like the end of Oklahoma. It does. Doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Oh, Oklahoma. <laughs> yes. Whatever the word, however you spell Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's all the time I have. And we have. And Oh, keep going. I'm bum, just... bum, 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 I think we should sing the Hedwig theme as we leave. Okay. So, good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Bye, Ryan. Is he on here?
No. It's <laughs> like, you have to edit this, so I'm all... You totally probably just made the blooper reel. Who? So you know. Who? <laughs> you. Me? Why? Yeah, you're singing. Oh, you please. Know, he up, like, any time we sing, he chops it up and puts it in the blooper reel. <laughs> I swear I will never escape the damn blooper reel. Or, no, it'll be, <laughs> I'll never escape the dong blooper reel. No. <laughs> <laughs> Since we're still PG R rated. If you've heard anything in this episode that you would like to comment on or would like to contribute to the show, you can email any of our staff at their names at pothervicweekly.com or you can email staff at pothervicweekly.com. If you would like to send in a voicemail message, you can either call 781 352 0643. And you can leave a voicemail up to two minutes in length, or you can email us an audio file to our email address, and we can play that on the show. You can also download a program called The Gizmo Project, and you can uh, contact us that way through your computer. For more information, visit pothervicweekly.com.